This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Happy Monday to you. And we are at it, right? Back at it. Like, uh, you just gotta, you just gotta be solid. You gotta be strong. Another week. Keep pushing. And tell the truth. You know? Or you gotta alternative tell, facts, you gotta, whichever. You gotta tell the truth. Stay away from the alternative facts, uh, is what the White House is learning. Today we'll be talking with Joe Cannon, our Washington insider. Get uh, his view on the inauguration and the first weekend. Mm. Um, it, it seems today, like today's the first day, first day of work, for first, the new... of, first official day. Yeah, he's he's been having you know he's been doing a little here and there. There was quite a bit of work over the weekend. <laughs> I was not prepared for that. Oh, it was a piece of work. I, this they weekend. said they said they were going to wait, give everyone the weekend, let them celebrate, but they just kind of. In fact, we'll we'll get into that big discussion about um, President Trump's. Spokesperson Sean Spicer getting into a big uh, mess about the numbers of crowd that attended the inauguration, ah, doubling down on the numbers that were false. And then Kellyanne Conway jumps in to save what seems like her child <laughs> and just gums it up even more with a new phrase, alternative facts. We'll talk about all this fun. Is she positioned best where she is, or should she be the spokesperson? She should probably be the spokesperson. Okay, uh, because I think That's, they offered her the job. She uh, turned it down. Okay, yeah. So well, and I think she. I will get into it because I think it's it's a no win situation. Yeah. Because I don't know that we have. I think we have three different views in the White House. Trump's, which is the, supposedly the most important view, then Bannon's, and then Priebus's. Yeah. And it seems like. Sometimes they're talking out of different sides of their mouth. So we'll get to all that excitement. Plus um, other, you know, just fun headlines today, including Super Bowl is set. Mm. Falcons, Patriots. We'll let you talk about that, Terry. We'll see what happens. Yeah, tons of excitement. And uh, also just, you know, the empty news, of course. Matt Townsend News. And Jeff Simpson's joining us with um, Captain Kirk look today. Gold. I'm a little, I'm a little disappointed because my wife said this was. You look. This is the only sweater that I wear that she compliments. No, just, you look great, and you fill it out nicely. It's like gleaming leadership over there. You just are missing that little triangle insignia. Huh. But you look like Captain Kirk behind the the board too. Captain's log. <laughs> great acting. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? President Trump, having declared post-inaugural Monday as the true opening day of his new administration, spent Sunday pondering, allegedly, I guess. I don't know what... How do they know what he's pondering? No idea. There's well, some press it, releases. He tweets it. A, oh, you're right. A string of executive orders on topics ranging from immigration to Israel to the economy, including what he called a reworking of the North America Free Trade Agreement. Supervising the swearing-in of 30 new White House staff members on Sunday, Trump said that he would soon meet with Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and Mexican President Enrique Peña Nieto to discuss changes to NAFTA. Trump also spoke with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. The White House later said the two men discussed Iran, the Islamic State, and the Israel-Palestine peace process, and that Trump invited Netanyahu to Washington in February. Netanyahu said he accepted. 
So wow, he'll be here great. in February. White House Counselor Kellyanne Conway said on Sunday that President Donald Trump will not release his tax returns because the American people are not concerned about them. We litigated this all through the election, Conway said on ABC this week. People didn't care. They voted for him. The White House was obligated to respond after a petition garnered enough signatures. WikiLeaks took to Twitter to berate the, pre- uh, the president on Sunday after his spokesperson said that they would not release the tax returns. Trump's breach of promise over the release of his tax returns is even more gratuitous than Clinton concealing her Goldman Sachs transcripts, Ooh, wow. the, the organization tweeted. It also issued a call to action to individuals who may have access to the ter- returns to send them to WikiLeaks. Wow. So it looks like WikiLeaks is bipartisan. <laughs> At least 19 people have kill, have been killed in the last two days in sweeping storms that have hit Mississippi, Georgia, Alabama, and Florida. Tornadoes hit Georgia early Sunday morning, killing at least 15 people and injuring two dozen. Others died in Mississippi from tornadoes. More tornado watches have been issued for this morning in the southeast in preparation for the inclement weather to strike again. Also, for two hours Sunday night, every domestic United Airlines flight was grounded due to a computer outage. The FAA reports the ground stop was issued at united's request the faa said and internal flights international flights were not affected united blamed the ground stop on quote an it issue oh that is a big deal but it had to do with uh, knowing the exact weight of the airplane before takeoff which is kind of a key really factor important yeah um and finally as we talked about the atlanta falcons will take on the new england patriots in super bowl 51 february 5th in houston patriots will make their ninth appearance in the super bowl while this will be the only second time the falcons mm. who last played in 1998 will make the super bowl if you remember that game it was over in about five minutes yeah that was a the, that was the, very fun the 49ers i believe either the first or second play scored an 80 yard touchdown bada boom bada bing and it just went on from there man the falcons looked good their offense is incredible they remind me of me back in the day really yeah wow mm-hmm. because you were so offensive Yes, exactly. That's what Mama used to say. It was good. No one more offensive than you, boy. That's what she used to call me. It was good. Cute. I watched uh, half of the game and turned it off. Why? Uh, You could tell it was done. No. There was no no coming back from that. That Ryan, man, he needs, and he needs a Super Bowl. Yeah, he's got a... I'm going for Atlanta. Some are saying he'll probably be the MVP. Mm Mm-hmm. For what they've done down there, incredible. But, uh, Nobody, he, I don't know. Do you stop that offense? And so this is just going to be a major shootout. You'd think, yeah, yeah. You'll see a high-scoring game, maybe fifty points scored total. Maybe we'll ask BYU Sports Nation about who's got the best defense, because mm. it might just come down to defense and special teams. It also might not matter. Hey, That's Terry, true. you might know this. Are the numbers going to be up or down this year for people watching? For the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. they'd probably be up. I'd be up. You think so? Yeah. I, I don't know. Think that, Atlanta's a big well, city. One, one thing they've gone up every year because population keeps growing. So there's like inclement steps. Mm-hmm. So I, they might have hit like peak, you know, the peak viewership on the Super Bowl, but just keep growing because the country keeps growing. That's surprising though, because it seems like with YouTube now and yeah. so many opportunities to watch the commercials after the fact, it right. seems like a lot of people are watching the Super Bowl for the commercials well, it, anyway. It, it always peaks at halftime. Ah, uh, is, like, that, is that yeah, it? Yeah, people want to watch halftime, and then if the game's close, it can it'll continue. But it all that's always the peak is halftime. So well, they'll get Lady Gaga for that reason. Is people are you know you get the the person who doesn't necessarily like football, but they like the entertainment end of it. So mm-hmm. Lady Gaga with a gag order? No, no. The NFL <laughs> said they didn't do that. Okay, just they, checking. They, they totally did that. 
They totally did that because you don't want to offend half of America. But the storyline that, that I think they really need to play up, Tom Brady sat up four games to start the season mm-hmm. because the NFL, as every Patriots fan will That's tell right. you, yeah. abused and went after the Patriots team unfoundedly. They had no proof no that proof there was any sort of deflate that they deflated that anything. And then they just they put it in there. If you watch the owner of the, the team talk last night after the game, he's like, this is a special game for all Patriots fans. And then he just sort of moved on. He didn't talk about how we just, you know. Well, they were like chanting, Rod, is it Roger Goodell? Yeah. Goodell? They were chanting his name. and He, he went to the Atlanta game. The first yeah. there's two games. He went to the first game. He didn't go to the Patriots game. Wonder if he'll show up to the Super Bowl. Sure, he'll be there. But oh, that's, because that's it's a neutral in, site. It's in Houston, so there, he doesn't have to go to New England and possibly get you know neutral talked. site. Yeah, excellent. Well, um, boy, by the way, tornadoes, eighteen people dead. That is crazy. Yeah. So our prayers go out to them uh, and their families because eighteen people. That's already more than all of last year, apparently, mm. that died in storms um, or tornadoes. So, talking about tornadoes, mm. Trump's team kind of stepped in some tornado. Yes. They created and a I, tornado. And, and as you were saying, I never really thought of it that way, but there seemed to be three different ideas floating around. And so Trump's got his own, but he's also being advised by Bannon, who is the Breitbart, fake news they everyone accuses him of. And then there's Priebus, who has been speaking for the Republican Party. So Priebus kind of knows how to do it mainstream. Yeah. Bannon tries to kind of know how to do it fake newsy. And then you got Sean Spicer, the spokesperson, that sa- it seems like he's trying to please everybody. Mm. But it didn't go so well. Sean Spicer um, got in a, a big kind of shout out. They called a press conference yep. Saturday Around noon, one o'clock ish. A little impromptu, it seemed like. There was no questions taken. It was five minutes long, and he and was it, angry. And it was about uh, numbers of the crowds at the inauguration. Here he is. Photographs of the inaugural proceedings were intentionally framed in a way, in one particular tweet, to minimize the enormous support that had gathered on the National Mall. This was the first time in our nation's history that floor coverings have been used to protect the grass in the mall. That had the effect of highlighting any areas where people were not standing, while in years past, the grass eliminated this visual. Inaccurate numbers involving crowd size were also tweeted. No one had numbers, because the National Park Service, which controls the National Mall, does not put any out. By the way, this applies to any attempts to try to count the number of protesters today in the same fashion. Which I think is the motivation for the press conference. So, because there was a there was the big protest, the women's march, and a lot of people are saying, "Man, there there just seems to be more support for the women's march, and you didn't get as much support as Obama." Well, that created you know a major fight, and it sounds like the White House is coming out saying, "You're trying to delegitimize us. Mm-hmm. You're throwing numbers out there, delegitimizing, maximizing the women's march, minimizing his inaugural." Now, who they should be mad at is the D.C. metro system. Yes, because <laughs> their Twitter account was putting out all kinds of numbers. During the inauguration, they were putting out all the places you could park. They put out the street and they said there's about 40% full at this lot. It's about 60% full here. Yeah. Just find but places. But those, those, aren't, those aren't real numbers. The next day during the Women's March, they're like, oh, this place is full. This place Don't is full. Place. And so people were like, are they just putting out the actual numbers or are they doing this on purpose to kind of make fun? And they, they also, they put out ridership numbers. Yeah, but you, they don't lie because like you go through a turnstile or yeah. whatever it is They said called, over right? a million people rode yeah. the subway on those Saturday. Real, you know the numbers. Right. And then they, they put out the numbers from the, the, the inauguration. By the way, and a lot of them wearing pink. 
pink yeah. hats. And um, but uh, this is this is where everyone's mad at Spicer because he's supposed to be the spokesperson for the American government, the U.S. government, and they believe he lied um, when he talked about the audience size. This was the largest audience to ever witness an inauguration. Period. These attempts to lessen the enthusiasm of the inauguration are shameful and wrong. That can't be true. Well, that's the point. And according to what data they're saying. So are you saying television audience? Because they, they'll debate that. Or right. it, how about just the visual? And they'll debate that. But Spicer's saying there's really no debate. So then the next day, it was Sunday, Kellyanne Conway got on board, right? And she, um, in an interview with Chuck Todd, it got really heated. And she she basically said... She t- this is where she introduced a new word to the lexicon of the American people. For the first time, and utter a falsehood. Why did he do that? It undermines the credibility of the entire White House press office no, it on doesn't. day don't one. Be so, don't be so overly dramatic about it, Chuck. What it, it, you're saying it's a falsehood, and they're giving Sean Spicer, our press secretary, gave alternative facts to that. But the point remains alternative that facts. Alternative facts, four of the five facts he uttered. The hey, one Chuck, thing he why, got hey, right Chuck. was Zeke Miller. Four of the five facts he uttered were just not true. Look, alternative facts are not facts. They're falsehoods. There you go. Alternative facts. She went on to push back on that thinking that uh, – or saying that, that uh, you know, this is our view. That, and someone had a – it was a speaking on conditions of anonymity. Yeah, right? of course. The aide, the Trump aide, elaborated on the administrative's uh, view. First, journalists seize on Trump's popular vote loss. Then on the intelligence community findings regarding Russian indifference in the, or interference in the election. And then on inauguration crowd size counts, all in order to delegitimize the president. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're, the Trump campaign – or Trump campaign – Trump administration is trying to say that all of these things the media is doing specifically to make it look like he's not as strong or he's he's not supposed to be president, so we're not going to respect right, him. Right, right. When – are they facts? I mean, do you think these are actual well, things to talk about? Well, I, don't know. I, don't, I don't know that I'd spend my first day energizing anything <laughs> about the audience size. Yeah, he was doing a lot of things. There was a lot of uh, executive orders going out. Oh, yeah. They had meetings set up with – uh, Theresa May from you know yeah England, she's coming she's from coming England in, on so Friday is. but um, one of the problems is Donald Trump brought it up when he went to the CIA so he yeah. went to the CIA he went to the wall of the fallen you know intelligence officers where there's stars on the wall denoting everybody that's died and but he happened to bring up his numbers at the inaugural and he, again there wasn't a set speech you can't he was just talking you he know? was winging it so. <laughs> Part of it, though, then I and this is, I think, the duality of Donald Trump. And I think it shows you why there's a division in the in his office, because that night uh, was it Saturday night or Sunday? It was, it was Sunday in the Oval mm-hmm. Office when or it was when they were uh, when they were swearing everybody in. Donald Trump made this um, statement. And I want you to just notice the tone because his tone is entirely different than the tone of his press uh, secretary. Just. Uh went to the Oval Office and found this beautiful letter from President Obama. Uh, It was uh, really very nice of him to do that, and we will cherish that, and we will keep that, and we won't even tell the press what's in that letter. Until it's in the National Archives and we all look at it. Then it'll be there. And he also then tweeted out uh, later, I think it was Saturday night, about um, the right to free speech. Mm -hmm. We honor what's being done in Washington with all these people. 
you have the right to do this. We may not agree with everything you're saying, but you have the right to do it. So it was it was a more noble statement. And many are saying, okay, so when he goes kind of noble, it's a prebus act. When he goes pity and woe is me and everyone's against me, it's a little more Bannon at yeah. Breitbart. Right. So there's this battle. We're going to talk to Joe about it because you can't keep using two messages. No. It gets confusing and you get this weekend of – yeah. You can always say the media – I think the, even the alternative facts, it's just not a good phrasing. It's funny. But there is other data that they might be using. The problem is they never presented any other data that they're using that's no. legitimate. You just cast doubt right. on what was presented, yeah. Which he could do, and that's what he's the master of. Again, this goes back to our joke forever. Don't listen to what he's saying, just what he's doing. This was locker room talk. Certainly I'm not proud of it. But this is locker room talk. Yeah. Oh, it's crazy. So if this is day one, I mean, now today's really day one, but it's day four. But if this is day one, what are we in for? We'll be talking to Joe Cannon about it. (sighs) Crazy. I was hoping that with him now inaugurated, we can move on and never talk about it again. But apparently it's going to be coming up a lot. Did you really think that was going to happen? No. Okay. No. No. Anyway, hang on to your hat, folks. We'll talk in politics up next. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Well, it's Monday, and that means it's time to talk politics. Joe in the know is joining us. Joe uh, Cannon, past chairman of the Utah Republican Party, and was a candidate for Senate and assistant administrator of the EPA, also editor of the Deseret News. Joe is um, currently the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation and uh, knows a lot of people back in D.C. land, and we're going to find out from him what he thinks about Trump's inauguration and, of course, the chaos over the weekend Joe Cannon, welcome to the show again, my friend. Hey, thanks for having me, Matt. Were you back east? Did you go to the inaugural events? Uh, I well, yes, I, I I was there. I didn't go to the actual sit on the mall at the inauguration, but I was in an office on Pennsylvania Avenue listening to it. Huh? Did you happen uh, to over... count the crowd size? Because <laughs> we, we, we yeah. need a definitive answer. Yeah, I'm, oh, I'm as good as anybody on that. Uh, boy, isn't that amazing? Isn't that just Crazy. astonishing? Yeah. How much, uh, like, like, why would you care? Yeah, you're the president. You know, I, I, to be honest, actually, I do understand. I think I understand. I mean, we, we've spent over a year probing <laughs> the mind of uh, Donald J. Trump. We don't know, but one thing is clear. He hates the media. Yeah, yeah. And, well, and yet and, loves him, right? Because he... He uses them better than anybody. Right. But he he wants to make sure everybody knows there's an adversarial relationship. And that's what he does. So that's one thing. The second thing is, is this apparent obsession with not being undermined in right. any way. The legitimacy of his election undermined in any way. Is Is that even possible? You're the president and there's an yeah, opposition think, party. You're not going to get through. Without being undermined. Well, what I don't get is you won. Right. Okay. Right. And you won with less of the of the general vote. So 
you got a legitimate you, legitimately you won by electoral college, which is how people win. But exactly. th- th- there's a numbers issue you're going to be dealing with and you're upside down. So go do something about it. Change it. In fact, let me ask you about that. It seems like there's a there's a divide going on. MSNBC, Joe Scarborough, all those guys were talking about it a lot earlier this morning. There's a divide, it seems like, in his in his office between Bannon, who is Breitbart's, you know, big, uh, you know, anti media guy and um, also Reince Priebus, who seems to be more like, let's just get stuff done. Let's and it seems like Reince had to come in and clean up what Kellyanne Conway and others were messing up. Is, do you sense a division in the in their in their office? Well, so in, in every administration for all time, there is a quote division among the staff, hmm. and, and sometimes it's really real, and sometimes it's more apparent. And many presidents, and, and especially the good ones, just take advantage of that of playing playing off their staff against each other. Hmm. It's a, a pretty common tactic. In, in this case, overlaid on that is in this case, you've got a, um, it's just brand new. So everybody is stealing their way. Everybody's pushing, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And everybody's sort of staking out their territory. So again, which is pretty normal. Yeah, I mean, this is day but, one, but, really. Yeah, but let's go still... Donald Trump is still Donald Trump. He's the guy who said it, the CIA, about the crowd. He, right. He, he injected it. And a lot of people think, and I couldn't agree more, that uh, Spicer did that, quote, press conference, close quote, uh, with an audience of one. Basically, his boss hmm. was pretty ticked off, and he sent him out and said, you tell him what for. You give him what for. Hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he gets up. He gives his little, you know, very angry spiel, and, okay, bye, goodbye, we're done. We're done. Drops the mic, walks away. You know, getting people on Saturday afternoon to come in. I was thinking, well, you know, maybe, boy, you know, he signed some executive orders. I wonder what those mean. Um, No, nothing of substance. Yeah. Is Do do you sense, I mean, because Spicer now, he has to come out later today and now hold another press briefing does he come out? Does he apologize? Does he? Does he re? How do? You, how does he come back and restart? Um, zero chance he's going to apologize. Hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing like everybody else. I think he's going to go out and he'll make a statement, maybe be a little less angry appearing, and then and then respond to some questions. Boy, it it can't be the tactic, although. We said it can't be uh, many, many times on this program, but it can't be the case that he will refuse to take questions again. Yeah, that is just just a, a total insult. Well, and then yeah, and maybe that's the goal. I mean, it could be that their goal is just to beat the press up at every opportunity and then talk over their heads. Who knows? Interesting. Yeah, talk around them, just using the other medium. Um, is how, how do you feel as we go back? How do you feel about his address, President Trump's inaugural address? Some well, say it was very divisive. Yeah. Some say it was dark. Yeah, well, it's interesting. The first time I heard the word dark was right after it was given. Mm-hmm. I mentioned I was in, in an office building, actually, with a, a bunch of Republicans uh, from mostly from, well, obviously from former administrations, had a, a very 
a high-ranking former official, his first words were, that's dark. So you huh. didn't get that from talking points or anything else. Having said that, lots of other people said, gee, it, it struck the right tone for his constituency, which it did. Yeah. Again, he was talking to the people who elected him. Right. And it was a declaration of war. It was a declaration of war on Washington, on the very people standing right around him, <laughs> within a few feet of him, yeah. in both parties. In all branches of government. You had the Supreme Court there. You had, you know, Congress there. You had former presidents there. And basically it was a repudiation of all of that. And I thought that part of it was, whether you agree with it or not, I mean, that part of it was delivered very well, very directly. And he said, you know, you elected me to do stuff, and I'm going to do stuff. They said... Um, they, I can't remember who it was. I don't know if you saw when he was signing the initial orders and signing in his cabinet. Um, and, and so he was sitting there at the table signing and around him, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, uh, the represent, the leaders of both sides of the, of Congress and Senate. And somebody pointed out a really interesting thing that his, his outside tone outside talking to the world and uh, the United States is different than his inside tone where he's chummy and like really close with Chuck Schumer. And um, so how much of what we're hearing from Trump publicly is just bravado outside talk? And do you sense he'll be different one on one with Chuck Schumer his one of his longest friends in Congress? Yeah. Well, I mean, a many people are like that. B, he specializes in that. Yeah. He gives the bombast, he gives the macho, he gives his, and now we know, alternative facts sometimes, <laughs> um, statements. And then one-on-one, I mean, it universally, I've heard from, from a number of people who have actually been with him, how wonderful and gracious and kind and smart he is. Yeah. And so he he's... You know, he's a one-on-one, apparently, he's a, he's a different guy. But I do think he's got a sense of mission that drives him publicly to remind everybody, A, he won, B, he won legitimately, by the way, no matter what the vote was, and uh, C, he's going to be the defender of the faith for the people who elected him. And he doesn't seem to stray from that at all. And by the way, he, another, it's almost, they're, they're almost like three uh, Donald Trumps. There's the, the outside one that you talked about, then the kind of friendly, chummy inside. And then he actually starts signing executive orders and starts doing things. At 12.01 p.m. on Friday, every reference to climate change and global warming was stripped out of the uh, White House website. Wow. He went to work on day one, you know, and so and he's going to sign a bunch of executive orders today and probably make a bunch of statements today that are true to everything that he's said that he's going to do so far. And so, and yeah, movement. A smile and, you know, he'll, you know, you know, whatever his relations going forward, he's his goal is to gut the Obama administration legacy. Mm. According to um, Chicago Tribune, uh, some of his key promises that he made for his first day introduce a constitutional amendment for congressional terms, which, oh, which is, and we'll get to a lot of other things because there's, there's certain thing, I mean, that uh, it's a, it's a constitutional amendment. 
So you need what? Sixty percent? Eighty percent? What's the? Well, you need sixty-seven senators to vote for it, <laughs> okay. and you need three quarters of the states. Right. Uh, <laughs> He's going to freeze hiring for federal government to reduce payrolls. He wants. He can do that. And he, but he also wants to cut budgets, doesn't he? Uh, cut exp- expenditures um, by a percentage and and bring down the overall cost. He wants right. to uh, ban White House and congressional officials from lobbyists for five years. He's going well, he's to. Already, he's, he's actually already taken steps to do that. Even in the even in his uh, transition team, he's sort of imposed that rule already. Man, today he, he's going to formally withdraw from the TPP. He wants to renegotiate right. North American Free Trade Agreement, NAFTA. He's already talking with Canada and Mexico on that. I mean, th- these are things that everyone's been talking about. Is it possible that he's just going to get a lot of stuff done and then people will like him? I don't know. Because or will he only half the people thing. still like him? Well... One thing that speech illuminated is there are two, the speech and the marches, there are two countries. And in many, many, many respects, they're not reconcilable. Hmm. In some respects, they are. There are certain things that are reconcilable, but there are many, many things that those two electorates, they're they're not reconcilable. And he's going ahead and, and showing, you know, uh, what he believes about a whole bunch of things. I, I, I mentioned the climate stuff. That's pretty irreconcilable. A lot of people who elected him believe it's not a problem. So, boom, that's gone. And there's nothing the other side can do about that. And that's going to be true with many of the things he does uh, when he starts up doing things by executive order. He starts freezing um, uh, uh, hiring. He's also froze all new regulations pending any review. Hmm. Uh, and today, I think he's going to go back and pull back some regulations that have already been issued. Uh, you know, he said he wants to cut a trillion dollars out of spending in discretionary areas. Mm. That's a lot of money. By the way, one of those discretionary areas, it sounded like it was the arts, which in and of itself ought to tip, you know, uh, Hollywood over. Well, definitely, he's, he's, what, what is going to happen, I don't know if it's going to happen today or this week, he will submit a budget to Congress. And this will be the first time in many years, maybe 10, that there's been an actual budget from the president to go up for serious consideration by his co-partisans who, who run both branch, both, uh, both houses. So you've got, this is the, the first time in a really long time where you can sort of submit a budget and only Republicans are going to debate about the budget. Mm-hmm. Boy. And, and in that budget will be embedded many of the things that he wants to do. Yeah. Oh, man. Like you say, cutting out the National Endowment for the Arts, the National Endowment for the Humanities. The other thing he wants to do is to privatize the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, i.e. NPR and PBS. Wow. Uh, um, so those those are all things that you can do in a budget. Yeah, yeah. Well, and oh, this is going to get crazy. Okay, well, Joe, let's take a break. I know we got to get you going to the airport. We'll be back talking more with Joe Cannon. I want to find out what he thinks about moving the embassy to Jerusalem. Something President Clinton wanted to do, didn't do it. Something President Bush wanted to do, didn't do it. And uh, why Donald Trump thinks it's a good idea. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back, friends. Here comes President Trump. He's on his way. And uh, a lot of people being frustrated by his first few days. But it's, uh, you know, after today, I think he'll be living up to a lot of his promises and probably frustrating even more. Joining us is Joe Cannon, our Joe in the know, we call him. He's our Washington friend and insider. He just knows a lot of people and what's going on. Not everything, of course, but a lot. But uh, Joe, welcome back to the show, my friend. Are you there, Joe? I'm here, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I had you on mute. Oh, you're good. You're good. So what do you think? Um, one of his big promises is he's going to move the embassy from Jerusalem to Tel Aviv um, in Israel. And again, something that President Clinton promised to do, didn't do it. And President Bush promised to do, didn't do it. Why do we need to move the embassy? And is it is it just pure symbolism? And will it work? Will it happen? Well, A, it is pure symbolism. B... Almost many, many presidents, many presidents have said they were going to do it. Uh, see, I'm totally biased on the subject. Yeah, no, I knew you would be. I, Go. I, I, think, I think it's a great idea. It may not be a great idea when it comes to the whole negotiations and all the issues there, which is why the State Department routinely overrules the president. Um, I think, though, this president is not going to be take to be overruled by the State Department. Hmm. Seeing, I think he sees himself as a little bit of a Harry Truman, uh, who on issues related to Israel ended up uh, over you know overruling the State Department every time. No, and, yeah, uh, that's a big. I mean, I didn't know that the State Department overrules the president a lot. That's interesting. Well, I don't mean when I say overruled, I mean they were going they, to massive resistance. Alternative on facts this, on this subject, right? The uh, uh, by the way. There already is a consulate in Jerusalem. I mean, basically, this involves changing signs. Hmm. Uh, I, I, it's more than that. I don't need to be glib, but it, it, there already are. Uh, 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 there's already a consulate there. So I don't know. The, the ambassador that he's selected is way out front on, on, on record for wanting to move the uh, uh, embassy and do all kinds of other things. So. But, but, by the way, his son-in-law is going to resolve all this, this whole Middle East problem anyways. Right. Probably I mean, we don't need to spend a lot of time worrying about this, right? Yeah, his 30-something-year-old son-in-law uh, is going to solve, is going to fix the Middle East peace crisis. He's going to right. fix it, taken care of. Right. What, what do you think um, about the family? I mean, they, again, they're, they're a beautiful family, and when you see all the imagery of the family, and you sometimes wonder if... You sometimes wish Donald had the maturity emotionally of Ivanka, not to react, maybe not to to just play the grown up. Well, there have obviously been a lot of reports of, of her and Jared Kushner's influence on uh, Donald, on President Trump, uh, in a way to, to not necessarily moderate him, but but sort of tone him down a little bit. But he, you know, I think we always wondered, well, what's it going to be like when he's the president? And the answer is it's going to be pretty much the same as when he wasn't the president. Yeah. He's got a tweet, he's got a tweet machine. He's got a thin skin on certain issues. Some, some issues he's got a very thick skin on, but others, uh, when it comes to the media, it comes to his, his own legacy of election, he's got big views on that and uh, it's pretty much of a hair trigger. Hmm. 
What do you think we should be paying attention to? What's what's what are some of the things this week you've heard coming up that might uh, that might have a bigger impact than some of us are, are are paying attention to? Well, even though he's talked a lot about it, I think looking into the guts of the executive orders we signed today and looking into the guts of the budget that he submits, those are going to – that's where the rubber meets the road. That, it doesn't matter what the rhetoric is. It doesn't matter what he says, like what, he, what he tweets. That's where – that's action. That's, that's doing stuff because those actions have real consequences. No, totally. And and like you say, I mean, and a lot of there's a lot of behind the scenes and a lot of, you know, uh, I guess just the guts, as you put it, the depth, the insight. Um, do you sense as as uh, like Theresa May from Great Britain will come? Do, do you sense that that uh, people are going to like him kind of once they're alone with him? That's what we keep hearing. Once you're alone with him. You get a better sense. You can be a little more calm about what he what he's like. Is he going to be able to turn some of this this the anger that, that people have towards him? Well, I mean, we don't know what Theresa May has a feeling about it, but we do know that you know he met with President Nieto, uh, the Mexican president, and they seem to get along pretty well. Mm-hmm. Had had a, a apparently good reaction with him, and you know, again, the one on one thing appears to be really. Uh, very charming, very uh, you know, likable, and and so. yeah, and sincere in a way. Um, well, and again, with the the marchers and all of the the frustration that was vented in the Million Woman March, what advice would you give Joe to the to the press handlers of Donald Trump about bridging some of that? Well, actually, on the march, he was pretty good. I don't know why this do that more often. On the march, he said, uh, hey, everyone has the right, you know, they're exercising their First Amendment rights, and he actually was pretty good right. on that. And, you know, so again, it's the, the whole schizo thing about what what triggers that hair trigger and what doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I know you got to board a plane soon. Uh, just one more thing I got to find out. Um, Patriots or Falcons? I'm not a big NFL fan, but and and the extent I was, I was for the Packers. So you, you got to give it to the Patriots. There you go, going to the Patriots or the LA Dodgers if they were playing in the Super Bowl, but they're not. Right. Exactly. Well, Joe, we appreciate you, my friend. Have a safe okay. flight, and uh, we will talk to you next week as well. Joe Cannon's his name. You can find out more information about what he's doing to lower your fuel costs here in the United States by uh, by going to fuelfreedom.org and find out uh, the great work they're doing. Man, chaos, craziness. Stick with us. We'll come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Man, as if Donald Trump didn't have enough to handle, from the tornadoes uh, to the political hurricane he's, uh, he's undertaking right now. Apparently, people aren't eating out like they used to. Yes, the number of people restauranting. They're not. I'm going to try to make that a word. Okay. Restauranting. People are not going out to restaurants to to eat anymore. The prices go up, or money's you know. Yeah, we don't have the money. Tighter budgets, but the one type of food that's out there that you can order 
is yeah. thriving. What do you think it is? Uh, the one that you can order that is thriving. It's a restaurant. You can just go in, sit Sushi. down. Sushi? No. Oh. Apparently pizza. Really? Shares of Domino's Pizza up 45% this year. Papa John's up more than 60%. Compare that with a 3.4% gain for the S&P 500 Restaurant Index. Wow. So the stock prices for pizza restaurant up. Not Huge. going anywhere. No, the That's reason. nothing but good. What do you think the reasons are? Because uh, it's fast, it's portable. It's cheap, and it feeds cheap. a lot of people. Cheap, fast, and increasingly easier to get thanks to user-friendly mobile apps. Oh. You just grab your phone and I want a pizza and it shows up at your house. That, the app technology is going to make us all fat. You can fat order app. from Facebook, Twitter. You can even order if you have a, an Apple TV or a Roku. There might be some apps there where you can <laughs> In the middle of there. your movie, you're like, like, oh, wait, pause. Me pizza. hungry. So people are, are, are being able to go that direction because good. you're able good. to have pizza. Um, is that good for America? I don't know. No, we will die of heart disease. The restaurant industry has largely been mired in a slump. Some have blamed negative negativity around the election. How's, I don't know. <laughs> and now uncertainty about the president-elect's planned policies on issues such as immigration and minimum wage. I bet there are a lot of people stress eating right now. But if you're a customer to a restaurant, why are you worried about how they're going to function when you're just there to eat their food? No, you're not. You're no. You're worried about the world and the government. So you're like, hand me some macaroni and cheese. There's also more inexpensive options at supermarkets, uh, driven by food deflation. Also, they're enticing Americans to save a buck by cooking at home. You, know, you can just make a meal at home yeah. instead of going and getting something that might you might see as being more unhealthy. Uh-huh. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, but pizza habits haven't been hurt. They've gone up. Domino's same-store sales gained 13% in the U.S. last quarter. Papa John's up 5.5% by the same measure wow. in North America. So, so pizza's on the rise. Donald is making America great again. He's making America pizza. and pizza great again. Nothing wrong with that. Did you hear about this Pittsburgh mall that sold for $100? I read something about that, Yes. A huge mall, uh, Pittsburgh area mall that was foreclosed on after its owners failed to repay $143 million, was auctioned off Wednesday for $100. Hmm. So uh, something that at one point they were paying $143 million on, now $100. Does Donald own it? <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Maybe he have somebody incognito there. He said he was only going to do local deals. So that's it. None of this international stuff. So they went to bankruptcy court, and the, the bankruptcy court put it up for auction, $100, and now you – but you have to, like, pay back taxes. Right. You have to then not maintain like you, the infrastructure. I mean, it's going to cost you millions and millions. It's but, not like you drop 100 bucks and you have a skate park. Yeah. You have to actually pay all this Wouldn't you be now. mad if your son came home? <laughs> Timmy, what are you doing? I just bought a mall. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to skateboard all over it. Ah, <laughs> oh, jeez, Timmy. By the way, the mall was once valued at $190 million. Today it's only worth $11 million. Oh. Yeah. That's how it works. So you, you buy fruit. Yeah, I do. Occasionally. Yeah, we do. I don't Every know if day. you eat fruit. We eat fruit all day. They Every have those day. stickers on them. Yes. And people don't like those stickers. No. They well, leave gummy residue on the Somebody fruit. said it's ISIS. It could yeah, be. Yeah, Jim Gaffigan. Yeah, it was Jim Gaffigan said <laughs> that. Other people are concerned about the waste, right? You're just yeah. putting more paper out there for no reason. Well, a company in Sweden, a supermarket ICA in Sweden, has come up with a different way to, to put the information on the fruit that they need to without the damaging. The, they're marking what? the fruit. How? It's called natural branding. 
It doesn't affect the quality or longevity of the produce, and it's invisible under the skin of the fruit or the vegetable. It uses a strong light to remove pigment ah. from the skin of the produce, okay. and it has a potential to make large positive impact, impact environmentally. But there, there's a picture of what it looks like. Oh, they lay their their laser, their laser etching. etching. So do we need to make sure to bring our black lights with us whenever we go no. to the grocery store? Highly visible. Oh, if it's green, it just makes it. Lighter green. So you it's can like see your it right tattoo. on the avocado. It's could just you, your could you your sink fruit. your teeth into that, though? I'd worry. I'd what? worry what's underneath it. Like, just, is it going to be all black? Yeah. Okay. Or all ne- white? The, the next big problem they need to fix, they need to get rid of that glue spot uh. on ice cream cones. When you have that wrapper on there, there's always yeah. that glue spot. Mm-hmm. You have to it. eat around it. I hate the glue spot. These are important things. I, I mean, marking our fruit, I guess it's a big deal. Got to stay on top of that. I mean, no. that is more natural, I guess. Yeah, and, and it, it doesn't do anything to the fruit. No. Well, I mean, it's, if, I mean, imagine if you were the fruit. You've, uh, now you're marked. You used to just be an avocado or sun-kissed from God, and now you're branded. Do you watch the Puppy Bowl? During no. the Super Bowl. No. You go to the Animal Planet, they have yeah. two teams of dogs and some ridiculous narration of some football game that never actually happened. I don't watch it. People watch it. They like watching puppies. This year, three disabled dogs are joining America's annual Puppy Bowl, bringing the special kind of roughness oh, to the celebration. <laughs> Intended as an antidote to the nation's Super Bowl footage or football extravaganza. A hearing and sight-impaired Australian Shepherd, a deaf English Pointer, and a Terrier born with three legs are among more than the 80 puppies oh, wow. that will be on the show. See, that's why I've never watched it, because they've always been so exclusive. But now yeah. that they're including all now of these puppies, I'm going to watch it. Except <laughs> I feel bad. I now. love the hamsters and the blimp. That's, oh, that's the best yeah, part of the game. The best part? <laughs> i got to watch this thing. All right, we'll take a break, folks. Hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. Stick with us. We'll be back. The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1 855 Chat BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Happy Monday to you. It is, uh, there's a lot going on, um, weather issues all over the country as well, um, and recovering. From people recovering from tornadoes in the southeast, crazy. What's happening to this world? We uh, will be getting to some of that information in the news and the headlines. Also, we will be um, today talking about the connection between bullying and sexual harassment. We talk about bullying all the time, but we don't probably know the deep connection between bullying isn't just some brute beating you up. A lot of times... There's harassment, sexual harassment going on. And imagine if constantly you're called all of these names or you're sexually abused because of what people think about you. Horrible stuff. Um, we'll get some research, some of the latest research on that and the connection between that so we can hopefully do something about it. Also, today we'll be talking about some of the crazy news. Um, if you're going to hide in a hiding place from police, we'll give you some places not to hide. Oh, nice. I mean, there's... Just some things just stink. It's a bad idea. Got to be careful. Got to be careful where you hide when you hide from police. Where would you hide, by the way? I would probably just go to my basement and just watch Netflix. Hmm. Hmm. 
And then tell my kids I'm not here. Well, there you go. They show up to the door. He's not here. But a lot of times if I'm really quiet, they think I'm gone anyway. Hmm. So if I just stay down, just stay down, quiet, because they're not paying attention. If they need you, they'll just text you. Right. It's great. But then I'm having trouble with my text lately. Hmm. Everybody that texts, like I, you sent a text this morning, Jeffrey. I saw it, and then it disappeared. And I don't hmm. know where it went. So I've got to figure that out. So if you want to hide a text... Send it to Matt. Send it to Matt. And then it never happened. I will never find that text. We'll get to all that fun. Um, we're done talking about Trump. It's done. Well, you are. Yeah. You might have to bring him I'll up. Ha- in the we'll news. have like a minute of it. Yeah. No problem. Says who? <laughs> Says me. And uh, also the Super Bowl. Also, you know, it's a set ready to go. Two teams ready to rumble. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? President Donald Trump will meet with U.K. Prime Minister Theresa May on Friday for the new commander-in-chief's first official meeting with a foreign leader. In an interview with the BBC on Sunday, May said that she won't be afraid to challenge Trump where necessary. Asked about Trump's past comments degrading women, May said, I have already said that some of the comments Donald Trump has made in relation to women were unacceptable. Some of those he himself was apologized for. May added that she is looking forward to discussing the possibility of a trade agreement between the U.S. and the U.K. in spite of Trump's off-use rhetoric in which he bashes free trade. Hate free trade. America first. Uh, Republican Senators John McCain and Lindsey Graham revealed on Sunday that they will vote to confirm Rex Tillerson, former CEO of ExxonMobil, to be the next Secretary of State. Tillerson has been criticized for allegedly being too cozy with Russian President Vladimir Putin due to his past business dealings with the country. Mm. Uh, But they said uh, they think they can uh, get past that as they have talked to him personally. Senator Marco Rubio could potentially upset a smooth nomination process if he decides to vote no on Tillerson, while Rubio's no vote won't, uh, won't, uh, wouldn't concretely stop Tillerson from being confirmed. It would send him to the Senate floor without a positive recommendation. Ooh. Which wouldn't matter. They'll just vote him in anyway. Yeah. Michael Flynn, the National Security Advisor to Trump, has been under investigation and possibly still is for what has been described as his repeated contacts with Russian officials, the Wall Street Journal reports. Flynn's communications have been under scrutiny by the FBI, CIA, National Security Agency, and the Treasury Department as part of a counterintelligence probe into ties between the Kremlin and Trump's team, according to the report. Investigation stems from reports that surfaced this month about the retired general making phone calls to a Russian ambassador on the same day that Obama, the Obama administration announced new sanctions against Russia, including kicking out 35 diplomats mm. from Russia out of the country. So, Sort of jumping the gun on yeah. dealing with other countries before you're actually the administration. Yeah. Not allowed to do that. It's, I think it's called the Logan Act. Mm. We'll see how that goes. And if you remember a man who police say stole in broad daylight with an 86-pound bucket of gold from the back of a truck in yeah. New York City. Remember that yeah, story? Yeah. They finally caught him. <laughs> uh, he evaded, chiropractor. He evaded authorities for months. Julio Novello, 53, was apprehended Thursday in Ecuador by police and members of the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, according to the New York Police Department. Novello has had run-ins with the law before. He's five foot five. 155 pounds. Wow. Grabbed an 86-pound bucket of gold and ran off with it. <laughs> uh, he operates out of New Jersey. Police believe he did not know what he had taken at the time. They believe he's a professional thief. Uh, I, I didn't know. He, it was, And they, they actually, the company, was, uh, the security company fired the drivers of the truck. But then they rehired them because they found no evidence that it was an inside job. It was just a crime of opportunity. Guy was walking by. 
well, look, there's a bucket of gold and walked I'll away with it. just take the bucket of gold. Well, or a bucket of something. So how much of that did he get to spend before he got caught? I mean, you have to convert. Is it were they, they gold were, coins? They were jewelry pieces. Ah. So it's, they go to jewelry stores and just broken pieces of gold, and they, they melt them all back into something usable again. Huh. But a lot of those wouldn't take them because they thought they were hot. So I think he had to find a leprechaun or something. Yeah. I wonder how the leprechaun he carries suppo- all that gold. They tracked him to the Miami, bucket. to California, to several different yeah. locales until they caught him in Ecuador. Man, a lot. Would you go to Ecuador to hide? Well, you know what you could do with a bucket of gold in Ecuador? Probably quite a lot. You could live like a king. Until they took it from you. <laughs> <laughs> so he's going to be extradited, I guess. And Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, 155 pounds, five foot five, and then you pick up an 86 pound. Because they said when he walked away, he walked to the end of the street, set it down, took a breather, picked it back huh? up, and kept walking. You could see him just sort of waddling down the sidewalk. You know, that's A for effort, though. Absolutely. I mean, if you're going to commit a crime, go big. Maybe he's ripped. Maybe he's muscly. Maybe. I mean, you you flip tires. I do. I do. Really do. I know you do. <laughs> I can tell. And so, if you can flip a tire, this guy could carry eighty-five sure. pounds of gold. Plus, if it's your, if you think of all I got to do is get away with eighty-five pounds of gold and you're set for life, who couldn't do that for an hour? Right. <sighs> in broad daylight. Yeah, in broad daylight. I just found it. All these, pe- all these people watching him just, you know, <laughs> struggle down the street. He was just, <laughs> and coins are falling out, and <laughs> bracelets, and. Holy cow, that's crazy. Um, Okay, here's another story of uh, an alleged robber picks a corral full of manure to hide Mm, from police. Nice. This is in Payson, Utah, by the way. A man wanted in an attempted robbery, armed robbery, was found hiding in one of the most unlikely places, a corral full of cow manure. Manure? (laughs) I hardly knew her. Joshua Campbell and Jessica Savory of Nephi allegedly tried to rob a subway from a drive-through window. They just could, could, can't you just shut the window and duck. Uh, employees refused to comply, and the pair drove off in a stolen SUV. Went southbound on I-15. A witness gave police the license plate number, and officers located the vehicle as the pair drove through Mona, Mona, Utah. The individuals pulled over near a farm, got out of the vehicle, and attempted to run from police. That's when it got a little bit sticky. Campbell tried to hide in a place where he may have hoped the smell would keep the police away. He attempted to hide in the corral full of manure, which, by the way, had been liquefied Oof. due to the late weather. Yeah. yeah. And uh, lots of, we've had lots of snow. Soupy. Lots of rain. So he got stuck in a soupy mess. Savory was booked into jail, uh, smelling a lot better. Hopefully. You <laughs> know they stopped at a car wash, Campbell. hosed him off first. Oh, can you imagine? What do you do, though? Do you even put him in the car? No. I guess you got to hose him off, but you just hose him off with cold water? Well, you, you don't know what it, you do? You say that? he has a medical issue and you call the ambulance. There you go. <laughs> that's what you do. When I was an EMT, that's what we'd, we'd show up and some guy would be a mess and not injured. But the police would be like, yeah, you got to check him out. <laughs> so they caught the first guy right away and then they caught the number two guy in the manure. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, the first gal. And yeah. then the number two guy. Yeah. Um, and then um, that's what you do. You call the fire department. Yeah. And then you hose him off. Then you call the ambulance and you get a towel. <laughs> and then you put him in your car. Well, no. He'll need the ambulance after the fire department with their hoses because <laughs> that's, right. that's some high-pressure water. That's true. He'll have pneumonia, too. Yeah. Poor guy. It's cold out Oh, I feel bad for him. So one of our, you know, we try to give advice to the cons. Always plan ahead. Right? 
and don't defer to a to anything really agricultural. Yeah, this was improvised. You, yeah. you could tell. It's not going to go well. You're not going to sit there going, and then I'll run over to this pile. And uh, Speaking of carrying heavy objects, mm. a woman now is um, in trouble for trying to smuggle her boyfriend out of a prison in a suitcase. A Venezuelan woman was caught trying to get her detained boyfriend out of prison, but packing him in a large <laughs> suitcase. Uh, they almost got away with it, too, but the guards became suspicious. After seeing the woman struggling with the suitcase, I mean, let's just say the guy's 180 pounds. Yeah. It's got wheels on it, though. Yeah. <laughs> She's just, why'd you bring your suitcase, ma'am? Just stuff. I had just stuff. Uh, they almost got away with it. Guards were suspicious after seeing the struggling woman with the suitcase. 25-year-old Antonieta Robles Suda arrived at the prison in Barcelona, Venezuela last week just to visit her boyfriend, Jose. Um, who's, by the way, serving nine years and eight months for car theft. She had brought their six-year-old daughter in a large pink suitcase, which is all, uh, which is not all that uncommon for overnight stays. Apparently, they're having an overnight stay. Yeah. They have facilities for families at these prisons. They can just go and yeah. get a room. Their plan seemed to go smoothly as the woman was carrying the bright pink luggage. Didn't make the guard suspicious at all, but it all came crashing down eventually when they noticed the petite woman... You know, fighting the suitcase out the door. You know, it's the door threshold. The wheel's always caught. the threshold, and yeah. then then you break a wheel. You break one wheel, and then you're going to jail. They stopped her, opened the suitcase, and then Jose's just all curled up in there. Man, and he's like, "What?" Lesson learned. What did you learn? What's the lesson, Jeffrey? That uh, you need to work on your up, upper body strength. Like you mm-hmm. have been doing push-ups. I've been trying to do more push-ups and sit-ups. You need to work your core if you are going to try to break your husband out of jail in Venezuela. You know, this story and the gold story remind me of that episode of 30 Rock where they have the game show where it's called Gold Case, where you have all these models holding up cases and you have to decide which one is holding gold. And the contestants would always just find the one that's struggling (laughs) with the suitcase. Oh, yeah. That's a good show. That's a really good show. Hey, um, at what point... Do you give up on a college education? Hmm. I mean, if there's an age, when oh. do you think you ought to just okay? After this age, I, you just don't need it anymore. Maybe you you if you tried and failed several times, by the time you hit your mid thirties, you're like, okay, moving on. Yeah, and then you can come back to it later. If maybe you come want. back. Yeah. You know, I mean, maybe if you're you know raise your family, and then if you're going to get back into the workforce, then you get it, or raise your grandkids. Mm-hmm. Or your great-grandkids. So wait, when do we give up on getting the education or when do we give up on trying to use your actual degree? Uh, Yeah, I'd give up on using the degree very quickly because you got to make money, right? Uh, Apparently, a 94-year-old woman from Hawaii was given a surprise ceremony celebrating her graduation from college with a perfect GPA Mm. at 94 Amy Creighton, 94, was awarded a Bachelor of Arts in Creative Writing and English after taking two and a half years of online courses from Southern New Hampshire University. So at 94, she still felt it was important enough to get that degree. And not just get the degree, for heaven's sakes. No, Amy Creighton, she had a perfect 4.0 GPA, had a surprise ceremony in Honolulu where she received her diploma, and now uh, she has $80,000 in loan payments to repay. This is a great story for your college-aged kids. What's yeah. your excuse? Yeah, what's your excuse? 
Grandma Creighton nailed it 4 0. Graduated magna cum laude. What is your deal? Loser! Anyway, she says, I just didn't want to watch TV anymore. I don't watch the soap operas. I'm not into any of that. I just wanted to, you know, stretch my brain. She did it. Amy Creighton, well done. And congratulations. She will be starting her new job at the uh, Oak Ridge Senior Living Center as one of their uh, newsletter writers. Is that, are you serious? I just made that up. Oh. Just made that part up. Just the last part. That's so cool. That really is. What a great example to, to her grandchildren and to all of us. So Amy Creighton. And her great-great-grandchildren. Well, and writers around America. She's still writing at 90, 94 years old. What have you done today? You couldn't even find your keys, Jeff. Couldn't find my keys. Got locked out of the building. You dressed like Captain Kirk. Looking dapper. You really are. Your wife was absolutely right about how you look in that sweater. Well, thank you. You really do. You look like you look like a commander. I mean it. And obviously, <laughs> don't be sad. You just wish you were really Captain Kirk. <sighs> we will take a break, my friends. When we come back, we will talk about the connection between bullying, which we hear about so much, and sexual harassment. There's a direct connection, and we need to deal with it. We're going to open up your mind a bit here on this one and help you uh, hopefully get some compassion, too, for what people are silently suffering through, kids as they're going to school and uh, being abused in a variety of ways. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Over the past two decades, the national media uh, has given considerable attention to disturbing stories of youth suicides that have resulted in part from bullying. As a result of greater awareness, scientists have gained better understanding of what constitutes bullying, why some youth bully, and why others are victimized. There is also a better understanding of the short and long-term effects of bullying. But what are the reasons for this recent spike in bullying, and are there other problems that go along with it? Joining us to, to help us work through that uh, issue is Dr. Dorothy uh, Espelage. She's a professor of psychology at University of Florida and is here to help us understand some of her latest research that connects bullying with sexual harassment and what we can be doing about it as parents, as, as employers, as educators. Uh, Dr. Espelage, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. Talk about um, – we hear about bullying and, I mean, cyberbullying was really big. But you've, it sounds like, made a pretty um, interesting connection between bullying and sexual harassment. What are you finding out? Yeah, so what we did was we talked to over 2,000 kids across six years, and we found – and we surveyed them, and we followed them from late elementary school into high school, and we found what we would call as a social scientist um, a causal link in that kids that engage in high rates of bullying actually go on to then use homophobic epithets, Mm. and then that then leads to sexual harassment perpetration. I want to make it clear that I'm not talking about sexual assault or rape. I'm talking about in middle school 
where kids are being called um, gay and fag. Um, and then the best way if someone is calling you that and questioning your heterosexuality is to sexually harass a girl in front of everyone because mm. then, then they can't call you those names anymore. Yeah. So yeah. we're really talking about unwanted commentary, sexual rumor spreading, and posting things online. Oh, boy. So um, and, and, and you're seeing a causal link, so which is more than, you know. I mean, that's a pretty strong link. Is it and – you, and you're saying so the bully uh, would then call somebody gay, question their sexuality, and then the person that's being bullied would then act out and perpetuate some harassment. Right. And the target is the, the closest female, right? Because yeah. then you – yeah, exactly. And, and is, the, is it predominantly – Boys that are doing this and bullying this way, and then women then end up being uh, the ones that are most harassed? That's the most common scenario, but we also have girls that um, make unwanted sexual commentary to boys. But what we do see with the boys, the boys are more likely. 3% of boys in middle school report that they have touched um, a girl's body when they did not want to be touched. Mm. 3%. 3%. Wow. And is so talk about what's what's behind this? What is what's is it because it just seems like with kids, they're in this weird state of maturity and I mean, maybe their own history and their own possible abuse, but also anybody that's different in any way, shape or form, they just nitpick and beat up and emotionally attack. Is it is is any of this normal? What's going on? Yeah, well, I think that, you know, it's it's complex, right? So we know that some kids that engage in high rates of bullying or sexual harassment, actually that behavior is modeled at home or they're the victim of sibling bullying. But we also do know from our research that teachers, one, do not see sexual harassment as a school-based problem. They see it as a workplace problem. Mm. They're quite dismissive of when they see it. They also think that the homophobic language is quite benign. What they don't understand is that we're creating a culture where it is okay to call people these names. And when you have the adults that are not um, adhering to their federal mandate to stop that behavior, then they, the kids are given the message that it's okay. And, and the kids are given the message that no adult around is here and the schools are going to do their job. Oh, you have boy. to remember that sexual harassment in schools is illegal. There's a Supreme Court decision that says that schools, one, need to prevent sexual harassment, educate uh, families, parents, and students, and teachers, and teachers need to be equipped to stop this. But they're dismissive, and therefore the kids just keep doing it. So it's an unchecked kind of negative climate that creates um, these messages that it's okay. You should also know that when they go into high school, they then, when they start dating, they're more likely to perpetrate violence within that dating relationship. Mm. So for, for me, it's a continuum in, of interpersonal violence that starts early, and it's unchecked largely in our schools. And then, you know, it's so interesting. I got a call from Vice President Biden's staffer, and he said, we've read your report, Dr. Espelage, and you're implying that somehow what we're seeing on college campuses with sexual assault actually happens before they get to college. Mm. And I said, yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, and yeah. it's because you're already victimizing women. And um, because of the bullying situation, and then you're all, and you're also victimizing anybody. I mean, by just name calling or um, 
and just bullying. I mean, so it's it is it and and it's interpersonal violence is is what it is. Is it? I guess is this a training issue? It sounds like some of this is educating our our administrations, our faculty, the teachers on on high school and uh, junior high elementary campuses about what is sexual harassment. Yeah, exactly, and that it is it. They're obligated under federal law to prevent it. And when it happens, to investigate and make sure that there's not any retaliation. But for the most part, most of your Title IX coordinators around sexual harassment is a principal of a school. And, you know, everybody listening to this knows that principals have a lot on their plate. So oftentimes, sexual harassment doesn't get addressed at all unless someone reports it, which kids rarely do, and it comes to the attention of the Office of Civil Rights. And, we, and we're seeing more and more universities having these Title IX complaints about sexual harassment on the campuses of colleges. But you're saying we may be able to stop a lot of this by focusing on earlier intervention. We have to because I think college is too late. It's become punitive at college. And what are they doing at college? They, there's alcohol involved oftentimes. And, you know, this is not just a public university problem. It's a private university where you have um, – kids and boys, essentially, um, adolescents with privilege, and they they feel entitled and they engage in these behaviors. We have to do it before. I mean, I've said to Congress and Senate, for the bill to prevent sexual assault on college campuses, you have to write in K-12 prevention programming or you will continue to fail. Mm. Man, does are they listening? Are people catching on? Are they getting it? Well, I think that, you know, given some recent coverage of sexual harassment by our now president, we're talking about it more, right? Mm, yeah. Um, but, you know, this goes in and out. You guys, you know, reporters have called a lot because of the, the, the language that has been used. Um, so it, we are getting some attention, but this is really tough work to do. Parents aren't really educated around sexual harassment. When they hear sexual harassment, they think I'm talking about sex. I'm not talking about sex. Mm-mm. I'm talking about the very denigration of girls in our schools and that our schools, K-12, are kind of breeding grounds for interpersonal violence. And unfortunately, we're not doing much about it. And it seems like, too, the if it all starts with bullying and there's just something emotionally frustrated or charged with the bullier in general, um, right. but in the end it ends up being acted out on females, women – and over time, it just gets worse and worse. What 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 do you sense is driving the initial bullier? What why would the bully? Why would they need to? Why is it so directed toward the sexuality or the sexual orientation of people? Yeah, I mean, we just know that um, if you're different, so it's not just gender nonconforming or lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender. It's students with disabilities. It's you know the immigrant population. It's the Muslim students. It's anything that deviates from, depending on the school, if it's a largely, you know, white school, if you're different, if you have a disability, there's other types of things, if you're overweight. So we kind of attack differences. We've done this for a long time. I've studied bullying for 22 years, and our rates really haven't gone down. Mm. In fact, we're, we're suspecting they're going to go up, just given the general kind of rhetoric that we have around Round thing. So, I mean, I think it is complex, but a lot of kids, there's not one type of bully either. Right. Um, so I've written quite a bit about this, but you have that sub-bully, right, that's depicted in the Hollywood movies, but you also have 
what I call, the, and others have called, the Machiavellian bully. This is a bully that has a heightened theory of mind, knows who to pick on, knows who, who's not going to be rescued by others, and um, they have high social capital and they're popular. Hmm. Does it matter? So, by the way, and, and even that, uh, d- does it matter which type of bully you have? So if I'm not... If I'm not called gay, if I'm not demeaned um, as and called um, these names, is am I less likely to then act out in a sexual way versus if I'm just beat up by a thug and constantly pushed yeah. in the hall, would I just be more likely to act out in a violent way versus a sexual way? Well, yeah. I mean, I think that just as there's, you know, different types of bullies, there's also different types of victims, right? So we have victims that are what we call provocative. So they may actually be on the spectrum or they might have ADHD. And so they kind of provoke others, right? They Mm. irritate people. And so, but then we also have the passive victim that just, they will never fight back. They constantly are victimized at home. They're victimized at school. They're probably victimized in the workplace as adults. Um, and then we have the bully victims, which is 8% of our population. They're victimized and become aggressive themselves. Um, and typically, you know, that's not of the sexual nature unless you're in a school in which sexual harassment is just tolerated and dismissed. That's where we see it. So it, this isn't something that we have to live with. We do find from our work that kids report in middle schools less sexual harassment, less homophobic name calling simply when the teachers say we don't we don't use that language here. Mm. All the teachers need to do is say I don't need them to give a history lesson about the sexual harassment legislation. I need them to say we don't use that language. Yeah, you don't I'll call people hands that. off of her. Yeah. Right. That's it. That's I mean, it. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. You don't you don't need a full blown workshop and class for the kids. You just need to have a standard. That we that don't do that. Third, yes, that's right. Yes. Should we have more prevention around it? Yeah. But our research says when the teachers say we do not tolerate it, the kids tell us we don't do it. Oh, boy. And what a torture. I mean, what – how horrible for this child to be hiding and – then to just see the long-term ramifications of this going on and on and and even generationally. Then yeah. you become a bully generationally and your family becomes the bullying family or the bullied family. It's um, yeah. And it's complex. Yeah. And I guess that's why we always look for kind of the one-size-fits-all solutions um, when in reality you're saying, yeah, this is much more complicated, but it also has really long-term impact. Yes, certainly. Boy, um, let's let's do this. Let's take a break and come back. I want to find out what else we can be doing as parents to help and uh, and I guess too pushing back on our administrators. I mean, this is something I talk to my kids about that. Do you see bullying? Do you hear it? Don't ever participate in it. Um, But now I, I never realized the impact that you're teaching us about just calling a person a name um, and the impact that has on their likelihood of abusing or or sexually harassing another. Crazy stuff, folks. But we're learning. Got to change it some way, and information's one of the fastest ways. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you become the good in the world. Stick with us.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us is Dr. Dorothy S. Balage. She is a professor of psychology at the University of Florida and is here today talking about her research into uh, the, the deep connection, a causal link between bullying and sexual harassment and what we can do about it. Basically, what we've learned so far, far from uh, Dr. S. Balage is the idea that when children, teenagers, or youth, really, I guess, um, bully another, calling them names, um, gay, uh, fag was another name that they found in their studies, and, derogat- and use these derogatory terms um, to bully children. The bullied child many times turns and then will end up sexually harassing a young woman. And so it creates this link effect between being bullied and questioned for your sexuality or orientation then turns to harassment towards younger um, women in general, um, which over time, it might be giving us a lot of information about what's going on on college campuses where we see other sexual assaults and other um, types of bullying behavior and sexual harassment behavior. So, Dr. Espelage, did I get that accurate? That was excellent summary. It, I love that you're you're educating our minds on this because this is the problem is it seems like, you know, there's just one event where my kid was just calling one girl whatever, but I didn't realize that that uh, that bullying turns and almost just starts this link, this uh this, I guess, it's just people trying to save face. I guess you bully me and call me gay, then I obviously have to abuse someone of the opposite sex. It just it, be, right. it, it becomes this link, and so um, as you're researching it, you, you talk about the fact that as, if teachers will just educate, how what do we need to do to get? The teachers and the schools educating. What can I do to get my make sure my faculty in my schools around my house are are talking about it? Yeah, I mean, I think that if there if there's principals listening, it's your responsibility to make sure that you not most of our schools right so will have a statement in their handbook around sexual harassment, but they never really talk to the teachers, educate the teachers about their responsibility when they see it, they need to report it or get the kids to stop it. So I think, one, principals need to do their job. We need to educate our teachers prior to them getting to uh, these schools, right? So it's uh, it's on us at the university to make sure that we have this in our curriculum mm. such that teachers know that Title IX is just not girls in sport, but Title IX covers sexual harassment and their responsibility in that. And so we need to continually talk to teachers about this, but it really rests with the principal. Now, I do want to say that I have been in some schools in this country where the principal uh, do a really good job. Like I said before, before the break, when, in fact, teachers and principals say we do not talk like that here or keep your hands to yourselves, right, um, or don't touch her that way, kids report that they're victimized less and they perpetrate sexual harassment less. Mm-hmm. So we can't, there are some good models out there, and certainly there's probably some principals saying, Yes, I'm one of those. She's talking positively about me. But for the most part, 80% of our schools are not Title IX compliant around sexual harassment. And that's why we have this problem. I also really want the parents to understand that are listening. I am not talking about sex. No. I am talking about unwanted sexual commentary and, you know, 
my research assistants, we have this game that we play. How long will it take us to hear a homophobic epithet when we step inside a middle school? Mm-hmm. And it's usually about 25 seconds. Is it really? So Yeah. So, I mean, parents, talk to your kids. Um, you would be surprised the language they use when they're not around you. Yeah. Um, you know, especially the boys will get around and they kind of get worked up and, you know, their hormones are raging and that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. But I'm talking about sexual harassment. Is I'm it not talking about sex? Because some of the bullying, it, it seems like, um, you know, might be kind of the homophobic name calling. But I, I think I can just see a bunch because this was middle age school, right, is who you were testing. Yeah. And I'm just thinking yeah. there's so many changes going on to the bodies of the boys and girls in, at that age anyway, that I think boys are probably commenting on women or the girls bodies. They're they're making comments They're That's just as bullying as anything. Right. And and sexually mm-hmm. harassing. Yeah, and I think that I also want, you know, girls do make unwanted sexual commentaries to boys, mm. and so there's probably some moms listening that get frustrated right. with how girls, you know, are quite aggressive with boys yeah. um, in middle school and high school, so I don't want to put this all on the boys, but what I want to ask is for all of those boys out there that have sisters and all the girls out there that have brothers, when you hear this commentary, don't go along with it. We do know that if you hang out with kids that use this language, you're going to use it. So it's called birds of a feather flock together. Mm. It's called homophily. And so over time, friends will socialize one another. And, you know, I would just encourage them to say, like, that makes me feel uncomfortable because we do know that there are some things that kids do in middle school that they don't want to do. And And I'll say, like, the nervous game. When we were doing focus groups with middle school kids talking about sexual harassment, they're like, oh, sexual harassment doesn't happen here. And then this girl was very uncomfortable. She said, but I don't like playing the nervous game. And the nervous game is where they're in a group of people, someone's the target. And are you nervous? They'll say, are you nervous? Are you nervous? As someone takes their hand closer and closer to the private part. Oh, boy. We had a conversation with her for a good 15 minutes. By the end of it, she realized that, wait a minute, I don't have to play this game. And it does make me feel uncomfortable in school. And therefore, it's sexual harassment. Hmm. No one had talked to her about that. That's it. I mean, really, it's some of this is just informing of the boundaries, right? And and give and empowering them to start saying, "I don't have to do that. That's wrong." That's exactly it. And and for the parents that are listening, ask your children, ask your middle school students about the nervous game. That is, I have never heard of that, and I have a lot of kids. Um, but I, <laughs> but the the thing is, let me tell you what I have heard before is. Yeah, so and so is hanging out with that group, and they say a lot of bad things about girls. And it, right. it didn't; it had never dawned on me that that's bullying. Because um, I think a lot of times in our head we think, ah, boys will be boys, girls will be girls. These are just boys and girls trying to figure each other out. But without guidance and without direction, mm-hmm. it's it's dangerous. Right. I mean, would you want to go to work and hear comments about your breast or no or no, especially no. And it's, it would be appalling to us. Oh, and it, I guess, too, that's the – it's – even when we say the words, uh, you know, sexual harassment, I, it always, it seems, equated with business world right. instead of this is sexual harassment. It, it, I mean, I guess – and, and it, how, how – you, you gave a, a really strong definition of sexual harassment as unwanted touching or commenting, mentioning of a person's body – Yes, or what you would do with the body. Yeah. So it's unwanted sexual commentary, so they could comment on your body, or what you would do with the body, or what you've done with other people. That's mm-hmm. probably not even true. Sexual, so that's sexual rumor spreading. It's the homophobic language. And then it's brushing up, cornering someone. 
Um, and then the 3% that have touched someone's private parts without their permission. Oh. And again, if anyone hasn't has missed it, that type of bullying eventually takes the bullied to start becoming more abusers. And those abusers over time create major issues through college and then I'm assuming workplace um, down the road. Right. Boy. Is – I mean, I guess, is there anything that uh, that government can do? I mean, I know you went and met with uh, President Obama's White House when they heard about your research. What um, what what can government do, I guess, except make it an issue, point it out? Well, yeah. So what we did successfully in the Obama administration is reopen the Office of Civil Rights in the Department of Education. And so Arnie Duncan had a dear colleague letter that was sent to every principal and superintendent in this country to say, Mm. this is sexual harassment. Don't call everything bullying. And if there's an investigation, then uh, if we get a report, then we're going to investigate. So that was a huge step. Not that many superintendents read it, but at least it was the federal government saying, hey, wait a minute. We have Title IX and sexual harassment, and these are your obligations. So we need to just continually remind, and the media is helping us. Just doing this radio show is about education, but it's also, you know, the Office of Civil Rights is there when things go wrong for so many kids and their families. Mm. Then, and, and I guess this is always going to happen, is we hear the extreme stories of the third grader accused of doing something. But no matter what's happening, um, it's still – it's always – there's a great quote in communication by Paul Watzlawick that says, one cannot not communicate. So if yeah. if a third grade is touching inappropriately another third grader, there's something that they're communicating that needs to be dealt with. And – right? Because it's either right. past abuse or misunderstanding or not boundaries or whatever. And if teenagers are doing it, there's something they're communicating. So it just – no matter what, it needs to be dealt with. It needs to be – in check. It needs to be put in check yep. and understood and get help. Yes. I mean, that, the abuse of – the abuse alone just is an ugly – I mean, the, these children could have been abused or come from abusive families or nobody has ever told them you don't use that word. So having an educator say, we don't use those words. Well, dad uses them. OK, well, have your dad call me because we don't use those words here. Yeah, and, you know, kids are quite resilient, and they can switch, right? So they know what's acceptable, and you just make sure that, you know, this isn't, you're not at home. And this is is the responsibility of teachers and principals. They can't control everything at home, but they can certainly, you know, uh, express how it is that we communicate here. And, And if they continue to violate that, then we need to have a discussion. But kids usually can... I get their stuff together and recognize that they know where they can act out and where they can't. What can I do to give a voice and a place to go for the abused, for the those that are, are bullied or being sexually harassed? How can I detect that that's happening to somebody and make it so that they can open up with me? Yeah, I mean, I think that having this conversation, so any parent that's listening to this or teacher, talk about it. Just because you talk about it doesn't make it mean it's going to happen, but talk, I mean, it's communication, mm-hmm. keeping that open. And if there's any youth that are having to be listening to this or, or college students that interact with you, you have rights and you can report it. And if your school doesn't address it, 
call the Office of Civil Rights. They'll address it. Yeah, and and so so if they were going to, um, and and BYU's had an issue that they've been dealing with about this as well, and. Where do they go? On a campus, there's a Title IX office, right, that's protecting the rights of so that this isn't happening. Yes. So what's happened with all of the, the college sexual assault is that we they make the Title IX, there's a Title IX coordinator now. So you have to find that office. It's a little bit more challenging in public schools because the Title IX officer is usually not declared. Right. Um, but you, will, you could go to your website. Any of the college universities now have websites. You type in Title IX and, and the coordinator, and if they're not responsive, like I said, shoot an email to the Office of Civil Rights. And even high schools, somewhere in the high school there should be a Title IX, or is that always the principal? A Title IX it's officer? usually the principal. Yeah, okay. unless they're really, really progressive. It's usually um, the designee is a principal. Sometimes you'll have a dean of students that is, but mm. it's usually that's just not their title. Um, they've just been given that, and oftentimes they're not doing anything with it. Yeah. Well, Dr. Espelage, I appreciate it. This is great insight, and uh, we need to all step up. We can't handle it. We can't keep having this generational hand down of abuse and sexual harassment. Exactly. So I appreciate your insight. Thank you so much for your time. And again, you can find out more about uh, Dr. Espelage by just going to her website, um, DorothyEspelage.com, E-S-P-E-L-A-G-E.com. Again, she is out of uh, the University of Florida and uh, doing a lot of work to help us understand these boundaries. And we have to learn. Don't just pretend like this isn't happening. You've heard stories from your own schools. Don't always take the extreme stories. Just take the average story that you're hearing from your own children. It's happening out there, folks. Um, And it doesn't need to be something that divides us. This is something we should be able to unify on. Nobody needs to be bullied. Nobody needs to be harassed sexually or in any way. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see and be the good in the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. So if you found out that your sister was be, had been touched inappropriately by a bully at school or somebody else at school, what would you do? What would you say? And maybe that's one of the fastest ways to create some empathy on this issue. I can hear it when we talk about it in the political world, we polarize it because someone will tell the story of a three, you know, a third grader that is now being arrested because he, you know, sexually harassed or assaulted somebody. I get it. That's that's kind of extreme. Second grader, maybe first grader. I get it. Just kids being kids. Right. Okay. But that's not what we're talking about. That would be an extreme example, and that needs to still be dealt with, right? What we're talking about are the fact that a lot of teenagers see somebody that's different, then they go accentuate the difference, bully that person. And when that person's pushed and bullied, they feel a compelling need to defend themselves. And by doing so, they go hit another vulnerable person. And that's where harassment then begins. This this. This is about boundaries, folks. This is about us setting limits, teaching our children the limits, teaching them a a standard that we live up to. We don't do that. We don't – last night, even last night, I was 
we were talking with our kids about we always stick up for these people. We don't – I don't ever want you to ever be caught talking negatively about somebody. And they get it and they're, they, want to, they want to live that line. Um, they're not perfect. We're not perfect. But we, we communicate it. So tell your kids what the line is, what we don't do, what we don't say. And then be there for other people that are being abused and harmed. We've got to change this, and it's got to change in your family, in your neighborhood. We'll take a break, folks. That's hour number two. Stick with us, learning to get through life together. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Happy Monday to you. Now you've been celebrating the inaugural balls and all of those great events over the weekend. Now it's time to get back to work. Did you watch any of that? Uh, I watched... The beginning of the first dance at the first ball. And then I thought, I can't watch this. (laughs) It's really odd. So Trump and his wife had a dance Uh together? Really? And 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 Mrs. Pence and Vice President Pence. Yeah, and the kids all join in. And the kids join in. It was fantastic. And then all the cast of Hee Haw jumped on started. (laughs) It was really, I mean, they're beautiful. I'm telling you, the Trumps, they, they are really good at branding. Just you just kind of wish they'd actually get more of it into the day to day workings of yeah. this first weekend. That would have been great to have somebody saying, "Let's not say that." So is she going to go to work on the uh, anti bullying movement? She should, huh? That was one of her platforms. Ivanka, I, you're speaking of. Uh, that was Melania. Oh was yeah, going it was to Melania's. Get, yeah. Yeah. Ivanka's going she, to do more women's rights, women. What is it? Uh, parent parent rights and. Mm-hmm. Could she give that speech without blushing? We need to stop bullies. No. Yeah. Her face was red, I'm sure. Well, I think she was just really hot. It was just warm in the room. In what way? It was warm. It was warm. Oh, I see. That kind of hot. Was up, yeah. In the room, of course. Hey, we've got a lot to talk about today. Uh, the Victoria. Have you guys ever done the mannequin challenge? No. It's Ever? A, it's a thing on the internet, so no. Is that where you steal as many as you can in an hour? No, that's just petty theft right there. That's probably no, I haven't, I haven't done that. Grand no. Larson. No. Um, it's, uh, it's where you everybody freezes and then you take a picture and everyone's frozen and it looks like you know, you're all mannequins. Yeah. We had that story a few weeks ago of the, uh, the kids that did it in Florida and it turned out that uh, – they were all holding guns and like oh that's right yeah and, and like three of them by, yeah. three of them had records so they couldn't like you weren't they allowed to have, have, a gun. have guns so the cops just tracked them down and arrested them Facebook after their mannequin challenge got you <laughs> we think it's such a new thing because we haven't seen this but it's this has really old origins Victorian day like you would have a party during the Victorian age and you would during the party you'd have a mannequin challenge. Was it that or are they just taking a portrait? Because you had to sit there forever. Well, That's no, why everyone this, frowns. This, was, this even predates that. This oh, is wow. where though you would take a painting of oh. a famous scene and, and then it? everyone would act it out. And like at a dinner party, you might wow. have four or five of these scenes acted out. They needed Netflix, didn't they? Yeah. 
Wow. Yeah, they were very, very bored. <laughs> Video game something. <laughs> so we will be talking with uh, an expert on the subject, the origins of the viral mannequin, uh, the mannequin challenge, hmm. which I am not wanting to do ever. Ask her um, if she knows the origins of the backpack challenge. Well, what's the – oh, throw <laughs> That's the one where you have a gauntlet of people holding their backpacks. One person runs through the middle and everyone throws their backpacks no, at that, their head. That, yeah, that's obvious. That was, that was the beginning of war the, okay. in medieval times. I found that one very fun to watch. Mm-hmm. You run the gauntlet. I mean you feel bad when people get hurt usually. But when these people have made a choice to do this, a you're like, of, eh, yeah. go ahead. You're like, you know what? They deserve it. Why can't it be like pies? No. It's got to uh, be your books. I've always dreamed about being in a giant pie fight. Have you? Oh, yeah. Would you enjoy that? Yes. Hmm. Have you ever been hit in the face with a pie? No. It just seems more painful than people give it credit for. It sounds tasty. <laughs> so okay. Cleanup is fun. Post-show stunt to record and put out on our social media. Give me media. a pie! Yeah. <laughs> we'll do a little mannequin challenge first, take a video of it, and then I'll just shove it in your face. Um, joining us, uh, we'll, we'll have the guest joining us about the Victorian origins of the mannequin challenge. Also, our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation. I've got some questions for them about the Super Bowl and all that fun. Um, plus, of course, a hero story at the end of the hour. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? First thing this morning on President Trump's to-do list, he probably tweeted. But then afterwards, he met with business leaders. Talk about Good. what his administration, what their goals are for business, yeah. for regulation, for, you know, like people are on the table. There's all these people. More of the merrier around the table. So around the table, the head of Dell Technologies, Whirlpool, Ford Motor Company, Johnson & Johnson, Lockheed Martin, Dow Chemical, U.S. Steel, SpaceX, Under Armour, International Paper, and Corning. Corning? Corning. Okay. Yeah. So That's great. That's Sounds great. tasty. He says they're going to they're gonna lessen the regulation, keep it safe, be environmentally friendly, but be good for business. Hmm. And, and, you know, essentially that's what he was trying to say. That's really good. Pope Francis said in an interview on Sunday it would be unwise to judge President Trump so soon after his inauguration, declining to offer an assessment of the new U.S. administration until more time has passed. I think that we must wait and see. I don't like to get ahead of myself nor judge people prematurely, Francis said. We will see how he acts, what he does, and then I will have an opinion. But being afraid or rejoicing beforehand because of something that might happen is, in my view, quite unwise. The Pope also issued a warning against turning to magnetic populist saviors in times of fear. Ooh. Now you're, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Jared Kushner, President Donald Trump's son-in-law, was cleared on Saturday to serve as an advisor in the White House. In a 14-page legal opinion, Deputy Assistant Attorney Jeffrey or General Daniel Kofsky said federal law surrounding nepotism did not apply to Trump because, as president, he is given special hiring authority. Kushner, who is married to Trump's daughter Ivanka, will not take a salary. On his inauguration day, Trump said that he was confident Kushner could bring peace to the Middle East because he's going to go help with negotiations. And Mr. Kushner is uh, he um, he's Jewish. He's a Jewish man, faithful in his faith there. And so obviously, if you have a Jewish man in your cabinet, he could then end the Israeli problems with the Palestinians. Right. That makes sense. The other side, what are the odds that Trump would fire his son-in-law? Right. Yeah. Opposition leaders in the UK are pressing for answers in the wake of a mistake during a June 2016 British Navy submarine test in which a missile was reportedly accidentally fired towards the United States instead of its intended direction, West Africa. 
the unarmed Trident II D5 missile capable of killing millions when armed with the uh, nuclear munitions was launched from HMS Vengeance, which is a sub, during a practice firing in Florida. Parliament is in a harumph. <laughs> I put that in. Yeah. Over being misinformed or not informed about this mistake. Wow. So they fired one of their missiles at us. And was, oh, yeah. Sorry. We, we didn't mean... Oh, Larry! <laughs> I told you to fire it the other way. I love that story. Man. Um, let's see. In Monday, a press conference in Seoul, South Korea, Samsung said early Galaxy Note 7s were... were uh, the fires involved with those phones were caused by ill-fitting battery components. And replacement phones... There it goes. You're fired. Defects including, uh, including welding issues and a lack of insulations were to blame. The company said uh, Samsung issued a recall last year after widely reported cases of phones catching on fire. They weren't exploding. They were sort of melting in, in ah, on themselves and imploding. Golly, it wasn't an explosion. And ending up... They, it's an implosion. So they killed the phone line. They killed that, that, that whole phone line costing them $5.3 billion. Wow. So, yeah. So, as they uh, said, it was the batteries that were the problem. Yeah, that's a big <clears> that deal. That was the report. Uh, a trucker lost his marbles. Oh, boy. In the Indianapolis area recently. <laughs> um, that's the joke that came from Indiana State <laughs> Police uh, <laughs> uh, spokesperson there. A truck carrying 38,000 pounds of marbles lost its trailer Saturday on southbound Interstate 465. Wow. Marble spilled out on the shoulder. And on the median, there was no injuries, no CAP, but a lane of traffic in the area was affected by the cleanup during much of the day. No other vehicles were involved in the crash, but 38,000 pounds of marbles. Holy cow. I love it when stuff yeah. falls on the freeway. I love that, James. It's just chaos. And that you can't have a better headline than a truck lost its marbles, a truck when driver. A, when a bread truck and then a, a truck hauling lunch meat crashed in Florida and everyone was making sandwich jokes, yeah. it was just, you know, it's what Twitter was made for. That that somebody tell that to Donald. That's what yeah. t- Twitter was made for. Did you hear this story about the sea lion on the roof of a car? I think I saw a picture. A, a, a guy walks out to his car um, at uh, in Seattle at the Brothers Shipyard in Freeland, Washington. The what? Uh, the Brothers Shipyard. Okay. In Freeland, Washington, and there's a sea lion resting on the roof of his Honda Civic. Hmm. So, like, what do you do to get a sea lion? It's a big yeah. sea lion, and the Civic's a small car, and it's yeah. just a two-door. So do you, like, shoo? Shoo, sea lion. It's like that woman we have the recording about the grizzly bear going yeah. after her uh, her kayak. <laughs> Go away, bear. Get, get away, bear. Get away. So, I mean, they just st- stood there and watched. Who do you call? Animal control. Would they know what to do with a sea lion? Uh, they'd probably just take that long... That long uh, stick. The long stick with the uh, little loop around the neck and sort of lead it away, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Can't you just That's see how They do the same thing with alligators that they do with all kinds of animals, so maybe. Yeah. I think I'd rather have an alligator. You you, you trank it and take it somewhere? You you call some zoo when they come take care of it? I don't know. <laughs> This is why Darwin was right. Mm. You know, some people just need to be cold. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's one where the bear just needs to get her. Yeah. 
I mean, because you don't you don't use that type of logic with a wild animal that's eating your kayak. No, you just you have to just sit back and think, okay, now how do I get out of here? I don't have a kayak. Yeah, that well, bear's not let go. I think the bear was ticked off because she was macing him. She had bear mace. She did. Yeah, really? sprayed him right in the face. Really, hmm. I don't remember that. Oh, go back and watch the video. Watch the video. Well, so maybe you need some uh, some sea lion mace. Anyway, it could be worse, right? Absolutely. Life could be worse. Did you see this picture of Tom Brady on the sideline last night? In his massive coat. his massive coat. Yeah. And then did you see what all the Twitter, you know. I saw that CBS Sports put out a picture like, what's under the coat? Then they kind of do an x-ray and it's hiding all of his Super Bowl trophies. And they're saying like, you say there's no deflate gate? There's obviously an inflate gate on that coat. He was sitting by a heater, so it was blowing hot air inside the coat. Is that what it was? I think so. Anyway, um, that's a nice coat. That looks fake. That one is fake. Yeah, that one was really blown up. That one is really The coat was big. But it wasn't that big. The coat, yeah. But who wouldn't, if you have a big coat, I remember as a little kid, I would grab a blanket and then sit on a heater vent, mm-hmm. and it would just blow your blanket up, and yeah. you just get a nice little warm. It tells you how interesting the game was at that time. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking uh, for both of the games, there's a point where you just need to pull your players. Yes. Because you, I wouldn't have probably played mine Aaron the Rodgers, fourth quarter for anybody. Aaron Rodgers from the Green Bay Packers did not play the last two minutes and 30 seconds, I believe is what I saw. Well, why? Because they put the backup in. Well, I know, but Aaron Rodgers yeah. should play. Well, they, Ryan shouldn't play. Well, no, I, winning or losing, both games got out of hand. Yeah. And it's not like the the losing team was going to rally to win. The winning team they they've already you know made their point. They're not you know. So both both teams, it's like you just got you know really expensive players out there for no reason. So right, they pulled them. Run the clock out. We're done. <sighs> yeah, but I'd already checked out by that point because you could see it. There was no way they were coming back in both games. <laughs> yeah, it was. But that's. I think we've got a really good Super Bowl. Yeah. When when is the date of the Super Bowl? February fifth. So not this Sunday, but. The following Sunday. Oh, yeah. You get a week off because you have to have a whole week of, of the media trying to figure out what they're going to do. Oh, sure, sure. And then it gets it turns into nonsense, and then it turns ridiculous, and then they shut off all the media on, like, Wednesday, and then it turns into the game. And then, and then you know, Fox is going to interview Trump for pregame. Yeah. Because everybody wants that on, on the pregame. Oh, yeah. I can understand why they were interviewing Obama all those times, but everybody, whoever had the game, they wanted to interview the president. Oh. So you want to have that mix before a football? Just I stick think, with the football. Leave I the rest alone. Give us a day off. If Trump loved America, maybe he just ought to not do that interview. It's all done. I think they already recorded it. Oh, I'm just thinking, just let it go. Yeah. Let's just have a weekend without any talk of Trump nope. or politics. He needs <sighs> to live tweet the game. Yeah. That would be amazing. Hey, and did you ever hear – Is because Julian Assange was supposed to come turn himself in. Yes. Is that going to happen? He says that um, it was it was based on Chelsea, Chelsea Manning, Manning. And they said the way they released her, it wasn't immediate. She's going to be released in May. So that doesn't qualify for the deal. He's not turning himself in. Oh, it's almost like he's a liar. Says so who? But he said if we release Manning, yep. he would turn himself in and he's not. No. But he is going to. He has opened his website. If anyone has the tax returns for Donald Trump, and send Donald, them to WikiLeaks. He'll, I, he'll post them. Well, for according you. to Conway, Donald is not going to be releasing nope. his taxes. People don't care, even though the polls show it's like sixty percent of the people apparently do care. But those aren't She's the people that matter. Did you say Kanye? 
Kanye. Oh, I heard Kanye. Kanye. Yeah. Killian Kanye. <laughs> Don't give him any ideas. Uh, okay. <laughs> That's crazy. All right. Well, we will take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about the mannequin challenge. It, it may not be as new and fresh of an idea as you think. It, it dates back. Uh, they've been doing this for centuries. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Have you ever seen videos where it looks like everyone is frozen in place? It's a pretty popular thing now for people to take a panning video of a group of people all standing in a certain position, frozen, like a mannequin, right? It's called the Mannequin Challenge, and it started out as just a funny internet video, but soon went viral, and now celebrities have taken it on, advertisers, local police stations. We've talked about the group of guys doing a drive-by, pointing guns and looking like they're firing on each other, and then the cops come and have to arrest some of them because after seeing the the, the image. Um, but it's, it's popular. In fact, even Hillary Clinton's staff and team did a mannequin challenge. It's The thing is, though, it's not as new of an idea as you would think. Today, we have assistant professor of English at Penn State, Dr. Ellen Stockstill, joining us from Pennsylvania to talk about where this weird uh, cultural fad actually came from. Dr. Stockstill, thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. What a this this was pretty mind blowing. So this idea of the mannequin <laughs> challenge, it's not new. It's not just a it's not just a viral thing that we that we're seeing on yeah. on online. We, talk about its history. It's fascinating. Well, its history is is fairly long, as you just suggested. Um, one popular form of entertainment in the 19th century was called the tableau vivant, which is French for living picture. And what people would do, not unlike the mannequin challenge videos, is they would get together and they would decide on a theme that they wanted to imitate. And they would position their bodies uh, to pose in that particular picture. And so it might be a scene from history, it might be a scene from a famous Shakespeare play or from a Rembrandt painting, Um, but it was a way of entertaining uh, guests in your home. It was a way of just entertaining yourselves if you were together with your friends. Um, But some of those same things that make the Mannequin Challenge videos entertaining also entertains these folks in the 19th century. So wow. literally standing still to kind of entertain your friends. <laughs> no, I, Larry, you're moving. I can see you moving. So it's and I guess everyone yeah. would go quiet. And, and how long would one have to hold the pose to have an appropriate moment? That's a good question. It could kind of vary. So I should back up and kind of place this in some larger context um, so that this form of entertainment maybe doesn't seem like so much of a historical outlier. So if we think back, you know, in the 19th century, this was before you would have people over to watch a movie or to even listen to a radio program. So when people had dinner parties, let's say, they had different things that they would do to have fun. It might be somebody sitting down at a piano to entertain the group, or people might put on a play, or Hmm. compose a play and put that on, or read poems together, Um, or they might do one of these living pictures. And so they might, they would decide on the scene, and then um, 
it could kind of be as simple or elaborate as they wanted it to be. So maybe they would just come up with the scene on the fly and then talk about how they would position themselves, go ahead and get in those positions and kind of laugh about it and hold it for maybe just as long as they could and then move on. Or it might be a much more elaborate production where you would plan in advance, you would have a large group, you might invite lots of people over to a performance, you might have a stage with costumes. Hmm. I've seen descriptions of stages built with frames so that once the audience entered the room, it would be like they were looking at a painting. So they would hmm. see these bodies literally framed. Um, so that just gives you a sense of the range in terms of something that very simply put on in a living room with just your siblings, maybe, and a few props, or something that is much more elaborate and has costumes. And, That's amazing. Um, much well, more of a sense of purpose. Yeah. I mean, and I, because I always joke about, you know, some people love games and party games and some just hate it. Yeah. But I guess some people would love, you know, the mannequin moment of the Victorian era when we have to strike a pose. And some would be like, ah, boy, we do this every time we come. <laughs> and it's, I mean, in yeah, a way, but exactly. they're I'm, creative. I'm sure that some people were less likely to want to participate, but it did become really popular during that time and kind of spread from Europe to the United States. So it became really big in the U.S. as well. And we have, the reason we know that people did this is because there are whole books dedicated to this topic. They would be kind of like etiquette manuals Hmm. or books about entertaining. And it would suggest, okay, here are a list of different scenes that you could do or that might work well. And here are the number of people that you would need. You would need this many men or this many women or this many children. Yeah. So, um... Yeah, it did become um, very popular and, again, just kind of a way to, you know, pass the time on a, maybe a cold winter's night um, when, <laughs> when you're together with friends. Well, and you can almost see that, you know, somebody with resources might pull out an incredible, you know, m- moment that, you know, the Last Supper and you're thinking, and yeah, if you have a lot yeah. of if you have a lot of visitors and a lot of people and guests that you're entertaining, and they all go into the study, and there's this incredible homage to the Last Supper. I mean, it's you could see it could be pretty powerful. I mean, I guess nobody could then pull yeah. out their phone and take a picture of it and meme it. <laughs> exactly, but you, you just painted a picture so well of what an evening like that would be, and I like how you emphasize resources because if you did have the the leisure time and the money, you could make it into quite a production. In fact, we know that Queen Victoria loved Tableau Vivant and that her kids put them on for her and for her husband, Prince Albert. Um, They often do them as gifts, so for birthdays or anniversaries, some sort of special occasion. And so you can imagine for the royal family, who has pretty much um, unlimited resources, their productions were probably fairly elaborate. Mm. and I mean, makeup, clothing, the backdrop, yeah, yeah. the painting yeah. color. Mm-hmm. Is it, um, I mean, because even when I think about it, you think about just the old uh, time pictures that when you have to stand there and be totally frozen for a few seconds to have a picture taken of you, this this, though, yeah. is – to me, what an interesting creative way to entertain everybody. You know, it's instead of everybody yeah. watching a movie and nobody 
doing anything creative. This is an engagement of a lot of different minds and senses. Absolutely. And I think for people who enjoy doing these, it was both pleasure in the production, pleasure in putting it together and figuring out how you were going to pull it off, as well as this performance. So being seen and showing it off to your friends, seeing their faces when they figured out uh, what you were doing and recognizing the, the picture. Hmm. All of that played into it, which I think matches well with the mannequin challenge. I imagine for, you know, you mentioned the, the Clinton campaign in your introduction. Yeah. For them, it's about, all right, are we going to, are we going to do it on the plane? Okay. So where is Hillary going to stand and yeah. um, who all will be featured and, and where should their hands be? So it's part of, that's all the creativity that goes into it. And then, of course, the execution of actually filming it and posting it and seeing how people respond. So I do think there is a lot of crossover in terms of what it is about these forms of entertainment that enchant us and make us want to see more of them. Is And I, and I guess, I mean, as, as mesmerized as we all are, I guess, mesmerized, uh, looking at some of these mannequin challenges like of locker rooms or we've uh, at BYU we had mm-hmm. I think it was the gymnasts that did one that was incredible they're all holding their poses and I mean that's pretty oh, powerful wow. but and it's very pop culture-ish I mean I guess this too mm-hmm. was kind of the hip cool thing to be doing and then everyone would talk about yeah. that at church or wherever the next day yes did you see what this family pulled up <laughs> um, yeah I think so I think it it in many ways, it was a fad. Yeah. And it, it certainly um, stuck around a little bit longer than I think the Mannequin Challenge will, just because. Yeah. I hope. You know, our internet, internet fads tend to kind of go pretty quickly, but, um, and, and this would tended to be popular for, for a longer stretch of time, but. Hmm. Um, definitely. You know, we'll take a break and come back, continue talking about it. I want you to tell me if they had the bucket challenge back then, too. Did anyone pour water on anyone's head? <laughs> I'll, I'll think about that. <laughs> yeah, you think that through. <laughs> and we will continue the discussion with Ellen Stockstill, uh, Dr. Ellen Stockstill, who is a professor of English at Penn State, um, assistant professor of English there, teaching us about the mannequin challenge. Hey, it ain't so new, folks. Ah, but the English, oh, she's going to hate that I used ain't. Um, we'll come back, folks. Interesting, interesting stuff. Sometimes those things that uh, seem new, they really aren't. We'll be right back. back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us is Dr. Ellen Stockstill. She is an assistant professor of English at Penn State and is uh, joining us from Pennsylvania to walk us through the mannequin challenge uh, phenomenon. Not really a new idea. Apparently, it was uh, 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 has its origins in the Victorian day um, where they had in 1871, it was called Parlor Tableau. Um, it was, which was a book that came out, Parlor Tableau and Amateur Theatricals, describes tableau vivant as a simple and elegant form of entertainment where everyone would just strike a pose. <laughs> strike a pose. Wasn't that Madonna? Didn't she do that? Anyway, joining us is Ellen Stockstill. Ellen, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. I think this is a uh, – there's something about 
the old becoming new again. And um, we were all talking mm-hmm. about it during the break. Um, this is a fad now, but mm-hmm. but back then, I mean, it was it was. I mean, there was a book written, how to do this, how to pull it off. And then I guess could they pull in a a photographer if they had enough money and resources and later in the generation, in the century, I guess they could get a picture of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I I would say if the Victorians had iPhones, we probably would have, you know, seen more pictures. Oh, yeah. I've seen them on Instagram. But, yeah, we do have photographic evidence of, of people doing these as well. Um, I mentioned in our earlier segment that Queen Victoria was a big fan of putting on these kinds of productions, and we have, she kept a diary through her whole life, and so we have a sketch that she drew of her children Hmm. in one of these. So we do have evidence, both kind of descriptions of people doing this, advice, as you mentioned, for how to put them on, and we have photos of, of people doing them as well, especially some of those bigger productions that they involve 40 or 50 people that oh, might yeah. be an imitation of a much larger scene or historical event. Does One of the things we were also talking about, and as an English professor, it seems like more and more of us are, and maybe it's just the the advent and in, and the focus of Netflix, we want to go back in time. Downton Abbey was a big hit. Some of these, you know... Um, some of these these shows that allow us to go back and find out what was going on in the 19th century, it really makes us it, – it somehow – it, it captures our imagination. Do you see that in your work and, and somebody who has been studying this for a long time? I do. And you, know, you mentioned these historical dramas that we seem to come back to in terms of our entertainment now on, on television. Um yeah, there is something very entertaining about going back and seeing some of the connections between the 21st century and the 19th. Um, in some ways, I think we process what's happening now by yeah. going back and seeing what's happened before. Um, you know, Queen Victoria herself is entering pop culture again right now because PBS just started airing a series about her. Right. I don't know if it will be as popular as Down Abbey, Down Abbey garnered a huge audience, but they are promoting it heavily, and at the very least, I think it will introduce her to an audience that primarily knows her name in association with architecture and the style of dress, Hmm. and so it will kind of more expose her early years as queen, and she was on the throne for a very long time, and so I'm interested to see how this series highlights some of those major historical events that Hmm. occurred when, when she was in power, and um, yeah, I think it, it continues to be fascinating. One place where I see the 19th century reappearing again and again outside of TV and some of these dramas is at Christmas time. Um, I think so many towns in the United States have Victorian Christmas yeah. productions. So many you know, major cities in the U.S. have productions of um, Dickens' Christmas Carol. So you see a lot of the kind of dress and those things come out around Christmas. So we definitely have some nostalgia for <laughs> that time and some of its values and aesthetics. Is it um, – I mean I, I, I've even had my own kids watch Downton Abbey and, and just long for that day of less overwhelm. 
and less <laughs> confused. And then I'm thinking, well, you think of Dickens, there's a lot of people dying and starving to death in the streets. Oh, yeah. And so I, I guess do we just do we just do we tend to um, make it a lot prettier than it really was? Yes, we tend to romanticize the past um, at those moments. I would say for the 19th century in particular in England, like our day, it was a very fast-paced, um, changing, quickly uh, period of time. Um, this was the Industrial Revolution. This is a time when people are flocking to cities, where pollution is on the rise where the textile industry is booming and changing the marketplace, where the steam engine is invented. And so the pace of life was accelerating in the 19th century in a way that before had not been seen. And so one of the connection points that I see between where we are now in our culture and society and where the Victorians were is they had some of the same questions that we do about technology and what effect does technology have on our lives and should we live at this fast pace? What does it mean that I can get from London to Cambridge this fast? Is that a bad thing? Yeah. Should I live at a slower pace and am I missing out on certain things in life purely for convenience sake? So I think there is some, some considerable overlap in those kinds of concerns about technology, about kind of the changing landscape, the changing world around us. And we could definitely see that in the writings and reflections of people living in the Victorian period. And it, and two, I guess there's this inherent human need to be um, involved and somewhat of a creator, and a, uh, and which is why, you know, you may not be able to paint some major beautiful, you know, painting or masterpiece, but I can certainly act it out in a ma- mannequin challenge-esque 19th century <laughs> version of it. And yeah. even today, we play charades, we play other games, we're everyone's creating their own memes. I mean, it's, there's something about wanting to share of your voice. Yes. And sharing in that creativity with a, a small group of friends, which is very much how the, the mannequin challenge video started too. It's a group of high schoolers together that posted this video and then it took off from there. And so, yeah, being together and creating something with a group of friends, that's something that is going to be common throughout history. I think it has been and it will be. Yeah. Well, I think it's beautiful. I think it's just great insight that you're bringing us. Dr. Ellen Stockstill, thank you so much for your time and uh, your your insight. I mean, it seems like a crazy thing, but the mannequin challenge, my friends, been done forever. <laughs> Adam and Eve were acting something out. They just, you know, playing games, dressing, dre- playing dress up, lots of stuff going on through all uh, time. We will take a break, come back, visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. I've got some questions about this upcoming Super Bowl. Stick with us. We'll find out what's up on their show at the top of the hour, up next. Tired of the same old boring game shows? Is that your final answer? $350,000. No deal. Open the case. Then you're sure to love Nailed It. <laughs> The new BGC game show that makes contestants complete random challenges with a nail gun in their trousers. Like kicking a field goal. Nailed it! Or dancing to YMCA dressed up as the sailor from the village people. Nailed it! Or knitting a cap. Nailed it! Viewers love it. I suffer from depression, so this show is kind of like the highlight of my day. And the contestants seem to have a good time, too. 
at first I wasn't a fan of all the nails, but after the 50th or 60th nail, you can't feel it as much. Witness this novice gymnast do a whip, followed by a double back into a round-off handspring and finishing up with a layout back. Nailed it! Nailed it! Coming this spring to BGC. Welcome back, friends. Hey, it's that time to shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Find out what uh, they're going to be presenting on their show in just 12 minutes from now. Hello, gentlemen. Nailed it. (laughs) Nailed it. Look out. How are you guys? Solid. As a rock? Doing well after a weekend full of winning for BYU. Nailed it. Is Is that why you're saying nailed it? Oh, that or the promo that played right before we came on. Oh, you heard that, yeah. You were probably preparing yourself. I was uh, using the we were just men's listening. room, not to get too personal. <laughs> nailed it! <laughs> totally nailed it. Um, hey, so... <laughs> oh, you guys. You you kids. Hey, okay, so BYU had a winning weekend. Yes. And? Yeah. On, a, on a number of different fronts. Yeah. Talk about it for a second. BYU men's basketball. Mm-hmm. We were worried all week about... Man, they got to go on the road. Yeah. Well, what's going to happen the next time they go on the road? They played well on the road, and they did so with pretty good defense. <laughs> the nail not it. happened. Right. Great. Okay. So did that it. that was really good. Also, <laughs> Kyle Van Noy is going to play for a Super Bowl. Holy doing Patriots, cow! And he stripped a football yesterday. He's on fuego, making plays. Yeah. Yeah. He's not mired down in Detroit anymore. Like he can actually do him. His Seriously, thing. that's right. Holy Congratulations cow. to him. Jimmer dropped 50 in his return from an ankle injury. <laughs> Unbelievable. Post-injury. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, once you've got that cortisone. When you're the lonely god, mm-hmm. as they call it. That's him. right. When you are the lonely <laughs> god of China. <laughs> Lowercase g, of course. Yeah. Oh, wow. There was a lot going on. That's a, that's a lot of winning. And so, do you guys feel good about the Falcons, Patriots, head-to-head? Absolutely. Falcons aren't sexy nationally. No, right? but like the unbelievable offense. The Packers would have been there in terms of interest level. But the little-known fact, the Falcons are the number one offense. They're a top-five defense, I believe. Their quarterback's well. probably going to win league MVP. Right. And they, honestly, I've never seen, they just kept moving the ball. It was Yeah, I was disappointed that neither game... Was close. Was close yesterday. Now, is it true the Patriots have like a three-point advantage? Yeah. Here's the here's the thing. Oh, like look. the college football playoff, both of the semifinals were blowouts, right? Right. I think the Super Bowl is going to be very close. Let's hope it's going to be exciting, just like the I'll, national championship. Game. Great food, either way, whatever. Yeah, that, I mean, a lot of it is about the food and the commercials, of course. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Is sure. uh, but I, how are they defensively? Is this Atlanta? just going to – yeah, both of them. Good, but they're both good defensive teams. Yeah. I wouldn't call them elite, but they're both good defensive okay. teams. So, so it's, it's going to be fun. The, the Falcons, uh, up-and-comer, that really struggled last year, and you thought they were on the on a, a downward spiral. They played well. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the Patriots, their seventh Super Bowl, oh, which is pretty wild. Unbelievable. If Tom Brady wins, no one's won five – no quarterbacks won five Super Bowls. And I don't He's know – Bradshaw and Montana. Did you guys see the picture of him sitting on the sideline with his coat? His coat, no. you've got to look at it. because Go just go look up Tom Brady coat okay. and um, then go look at all the Twitter play that he's had on it because his I think his coat has shoulder pads. Tom Brady sideline coat? Yep. 
Oh, well, I've seen it. I just thought he... <laughs> and then stream through the Twitter feed. And, and because he looks like he's got shoulder pads on his shoulder pads and a tiny little head. Yeah. It's it's like when you... Yeah. The shoulder little shoulder pads that are put into your suit jacket. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was always like, what are these? That guy's got... He's just big. But apparently he had... What a, are those? He had one of those heaters, you know, yeah, pushing air up. Yeah, it's got a heater, up. right? Yeah. He had a cigarette? Oh. Yeah. He's, oh, my bad. He's got a heater. Um, he, uh, yeah, so then all of a sudden. He's got a cigar on the sideline. They just keep adding more and more shoulder to him. So, <laughs> it's, Yeah, it looks like a refrigerator. It totally does. Hey, did you did you hear about the Jabari suspension? Jabari no, Parker? No, what happened to our homeboy? Homeboy Jabari was suspended by his play his team members because he spoke out about uh, how they're not playing very unified. And that was yeah, against that's team. That's not a unified thing to do. So Jabari reportedly benched for start versus heat for violation of team rules. And apparently it's because he re- he mentioned a lack of togetherness during a team meeting. Um, and the Bucks and the team didn't like that. So he said, I spoke up for the first time and it didn't go my way, Parker said. I was getting thrashed. But hey, as long as I give them another perspective, I did my job. So he'll sit out. He has to. How long will he sit out, though? He's not going to start. Yeah, I, but I can't imagine they'll let him. It's really going to help their unification. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if their second best player is out, not going to go well because of. I guess there's Giannis Antetokounmpo. Yeah, the Greek freak. Giannis Hold on, say that again. Giannis Antetokounmpo. Him. Yeah. The Greek freak. He's doing so well that yes. that you know, but the team's not unified in play. And Parker just made a comment and. <laughs> So, you know, Parker's wanted to be kind of the social activist a little bit. So, yeah. maybe this is in that same ilk. See, you guys know. And you use the word ilk. So, uh, Parker was on our football pregame show at Utah. Was at he really? Stuck, yeah. Yeah. You guys are good. He has ties to Salt Lake. He has family. Totally. What, uh, what's on your show today? There's a lot going on. It's busy. There's a lot. Down we talked about the week, the weekend in general, right? Right, right. Weekend. How much winning was involved? How many points from the from the from the sports teams? The lone god. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. Blaine Small Fowler G. is going to join us, our dual threat analyst, to talk about Kyle Van Noy going back to the Super Bowl or going to the Super Bowl. I should say the Patriots going back to the Super Bowl, and is he buying into BYU being much better defensively after one game? Like, is, mm. it, is this a trend or is it just like a one lucky? Luck, yeah. What is it? Good. That's a I good. It's more right. There, they better be. Come on. Yeah. Volleyball one. Women's basketball one. Jerem's winning right now in track, life. Track and field was good. Uh, Star women. Wars. Star Wars. Has some breaking news. A new name. That? Yeah. Yeah. Are you guys going to announce that? Yeah. You. You. Let's talk about it now. Okay. What, what's What's the new name? The name of episode eight is Star Wars: The Last Jedi. Mm. I think it's The Last Jedi. Mm. Oh, my bad. You got to say the like Last that. Jedi. <laughs> But so the last Jedi would say then then that's the last Ooh. Jedi. So we're done. Well, the franchise closed. Who knows, right? Well, we know Episode Nine is going to come out. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the next to last Jedi, twenty nineteen. Well, see, guys, we had to so have Luke you do... is the focal point. That's the idea, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, we get everything from your show. There you go. Not even just sports. We got you covered. Okay, we'll go. The, but mostly sports, sports and movie show. Sport, sports, movies, and then yeah, health tips on our IMDb page. Someone complained that we talked too much about movies. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> On the IMDb page, which is so funny. Of all pages right? to just, yeah, just pay homage. I'm not like homage. comment reader guy, but we just went there and we're like, wait, what's this? And it was really funny. 
<laughs> you guys, I'm sorry I posted that. I shouldn't have said that. I know. You could have just. Sports are great. Oh, passive the aggressive. Talk, I know. I can do with that. Next time I'll just bring it up to you guys personally. Let so Sean O'Neill do it. He's the movie guy. Yeah. Okay? Let Sean do the movies. Yep. <sighs> okay. Well, go wax on and uh, may the force be with you. Yes, Thank sir. you, Mr. Miyagi. Thank Last you. Jedi's. They've got a show, folks, in about four and a half minutes. You can just go sit back and relax and just take in BYU Sports Nation. Hey, a Portland man shovels his snow. But, you know, sometimes it's boring to just shovel snow. My kids told me that this weekend. So instead, he decided to shovel snow while riding a unicycle playing bagpipes. Oregon's Unipiper. Proved Keep Portland Weird is an all-season struggle when he films shoveling snow while riding his unicycle and playing his bagpipes. Kid, uh, whose unicycle multitasking videos have repeatedly gone viral, rides his unicycle and uh, plays the Imperial March from Star Wars on his flame-shooting bagpipes while clearing the snow. He's playing this on his bagpipes. One of the hardest numbers you can play. It just sounds so delightful. Yeah. Plus, the traction he's got on that little unicycle wheel is amazing. He's he's where he's got. Uh, it's all. Yeah. Look at him. Mm-hmm. He's got his. Uh, he's obviously has some all-weather tread on those on the unicycle wheel. It's really hard to do that. I think in another movie, that's the sound they used. To kill aliens. Oh, is that? Is yeah. That, yeah, it sounded like somebody was winded. But it's hard because you would get winded shoveling, right? Especially if there was wind. Yeah. Did you shovel this weekend? No, it's always embarrassing when my wife comes in the room. She's like, honey, the neighbors are shoveling your driveway. I know. There's such a thing about your about being a man because we were all Saturday morning, my kids, we were all just hanging out. We slept in, having a good time. And then next thing I know, I look out the window and my wife's out there. Well, I just I just figure if I'm not planning on leaving the house yeah. that day, Give I'm not going to shovel the yeah. driveway. Maybe the sun will come out. Give oh, the sun will come out tomorrow. Hopefully, because it's not out today. I would wager a dollar that the sun will come out tomorrow. Tomorrow? Tomorrow. The Did I say I love you? No. I'll do it tomorrow. Okay. Tomorrow? Uh, hero, bet your bottom dollar. Uh, hero, our hero story is coming out of Bellevue, Washington. A neighboring church in Bellevue has given a local Muslim community a place to gather and pray after the community's mosque. The Islamic Center of the East Side was destroyed by arson. Last Saturday, crews battled a massive fire that ripped through the Islamic Center. Police arrested a 37-year-old at the scene after they found him lying on the ground near the fire. He was charged with second-degree arson this week. The Muslim community who gathered at the mosque suddenly had no place to pray. They scrambled and got access to a back uh, room in the Highland Community Center, but that was only temporarily temporary. Luckily this week, their neighbors stepped in. The Bellevue Stake of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has... uh, that's next door to the Islamic Center offered up a hand. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has converted a classroom free of charge for the families to gather and pray for as long as they need. 
It's really simple, Church Director of Public Affairs Gordon Wilson said. It's just neighbors helping neighbors. Jesus said, love your neighbor, and they're right next door. So what could be more obvious than that? So our heroes of the day are uh, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, The Mormons, by the way, they call them, for stepping up and helping this wonderful Muslim um, community be able to get back to their prayers. That's the show, my friends. That's what it takes to be a hero. Sometimes it's just offer what you have and be paying attention to the needs of others. That's the show. We'll be back tomorrow. More ideas, more information to help you live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. Until tomorrow, make it a great one. We'll talk tomorrow.